Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Realm and Ruin, a podcast which we like to talk about that Warhammer that the cool kids are talking about currently. (laughs) I'm your host, Matt, and of course, joining me as always, a guy that people claim eats Gretchen for breakfast, it's Cameron. (laughs) How you doing, mate? Well... I don't eat them for breakfast. There's too much protein. You've got to go more of a midday meal Fair for point. Gretchen. I uh, also have to wash yeah. them first, and it's hard to get the water Ooh. running first thing in the morning. So you know, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> That's just, that just sounds too messy. Yeah, and they'll they'll be mucking around as well, especially mm. if you've caught a live one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, put them in the corner, wait for them to tie themselves out with some toys or something, <laughs> then eat them. Clearly. <laughs> Are you babysitting? No, no, this is my dinner. No, no. You'll notice it's green, so it's a vegetable. (laughs) Yeah, good point. Good point, sir. Ah, Right, episode 12. What are we talking about in episode 12? Well, of course, we're going to start off with our hobby stuff, see Mm -hmm. what we have or maybe haven't been doing over the last few weeks, and then we'll go into the news as always, and the main law topic for today is we're going to be covering basically the new stuff or new units from the Stormcast Nighthaunt off the back of Soul Wars, so Mm -hmm. from a law perspective, maybe a little bit of rules chucked in as well, but predominantly law. And then for the discussion topic at the end, it'll be a 40k one, and we're basically asking the question, if uh, Yinyad was to rise, would the Eldar be saved? Mm. Question, question, question. (laughs) And then we'll wrap up the show. So, awesome. So let's start with the hobby stuff. So, Cameron, tell me what you've been doing in the last couple of weeks, mate. Uh, all right. Um, let's see. What have I done the last couple of weeks? I was thinking about this earlier. I went back and listened to our last episode, and my brain just dropped everything I <laughs> listened to earlier. Um, oh, <laughs> is that what our show does to you? <laughs> oh, you know, I listened to it. I'm like, yeah, this is good stuff. And then 20 minutes later, I'm like, what did I say? <laughs> What was what was I listening that's, to? That's getting older, mate. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, no, here we go. Night update. I've started painting more of the night. Um, actually, almost done on the legs. Honestly, that was really fast. Um, <laughs> well, you surprised yourself, did you? Well, because it, it was like twenty minutes to get them to the state uh, they were when I sent the pictures on the Discord. So, um, <laughs> yeah, they they were really fast. I just sprayed them back, did a really heavy dry brush of um lead belcher. Then it was da, 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 da. it was a spot dry brush and stippling with the riser rust, which looks super, super orange, so I thought it wasn't gonna work really well, but it actually dulls down really nicely uh once it dries, which is good, so mm-hmm. it gives a good rust colour. And then just like covering it in um Agrax Earthshade, which is the standard make this thing standard, dirty yeah. paint. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, and it- so I've just got this image that people will be using. <laughs> I want you to get me something dirty. <laughs> <And that's- laughs> try, try a pot oh, of this. God. I mean, it works. Um, no, it was really true. Yeah, it was really quick and easy. So, um, looks like the easiest bit of the night will be most of the night, and then the hard bits will be all the armor panels, which I guess makes sense. <laughs> yeah, fair point. It's gonna be a bit of a slog for those, but um, it's it's really nice to see it coming together. That's that on the night that's your night update i'm still working on that thing there's so much of it um <laughs> although uh yeah, it's, it's like it's like your 2018 yeah. project isn't it <laughs> i know it's been going on what well, i got it like the week before soul wars and it's so yeah, still going. June. yeah it's, mm. been, it's been like a month <laughs> and it's getting places 
It's a labor of love, though, mate. Isn't it? Oh yeah, it's it's getting places. Um, I've mm. got the gun arms mostly together. I still have to magnetize the um the battle cannon slash thermal cannon one, uh, so I can switch out the front because you only get one arm for that, and I want to be able to have all the options. Uh, and I also put together another Gatler, Gatling Avenger cannon, uh, because Renegade Knights get to double up on any of the weapons, and who doesn't want 24 Strength 6 AP Neg 1 1 damage shots um, on a knight? <laughs> I do, please. <laughs> on a Chaos Knight, re-rolling all rolls to hit with the stratagem. Why not? It'll be great. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, um, so that's that. It's coming together quite nicely. Pretty happy with how it's going. Uh you, you will continue to hear updates about this probably for at least the next couple of months until it's actually done. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Everyone take a, take a seat. Yeah. <laughs> Get your popcorn out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, in other hobby news, uh, let's see, what else have I done? I got a couple of Dreadblade Harrows, so the easy-to-build kit for Nighthaunt, the heroes on the horses. Uh, those oh, yeah. models, they're super nice, they're super quick and easy to put together. Um, they seem really good on the tabletop. I'll be talking about them a little bit later, but, um, yeah, they seem like they're going to be a lot of fun, especially for objective games, because they just have the ability to teleport instead of moving. You just drop them anywhere more than nine inches away from enemies. Yep. They're cool models. Um, so I really like those. Looking forward to using them. Uh... I played two whole games of Kill Team over two weeks. Be proud of me. Yes. Um, <laughs> so I finished. <laughs> I finished getting my my little Astra Militarum Penal Legion Kill Team together. Uh, I'm pretty happy with all of them turned out, especially one of the basic troopers, just a normal guardsman. Um, I forget what his name, what I rolled for his name, but um, he's become grenades. We'll call him Mc- Junglehead Jackson. Junglehead Jackson. He's now been renamed Grenades McGee. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> well, because when I modeled him, I looked at the guardsman's sprue, and there's this one arm, like, uh, sort of hefting back to throw a grenade, and then I looked at another bit of the guardsman's sprue, and there was a left arm with, like, an open hand that you're meant to put under a las gun, obviously, mm-hmm. and then I looked, and I saw a little frag grenade on the sprue, I was like, I could cut that off and put that in the open hand, and make a man throwing two grenades at once, um, <laughs> which is exactly what I did. <laughs> living up to his name yeah um he's 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 he, to be fair he was the only one who lived in one of the games so he did pretty well um <laughs> <laughs> no one wanted to get near him that's why yeah just <laughs> stood on a rooftop throwing grenades he did really well um yeah um like i said i've got a couple of games in um kill team is very fun and super close range like not only is the board very small uh we just played a basic no objective scenario a couple of times because everyone was learning it uh, yep. and it was just, we start, you know, more than eight inches away from each other and more than six inches away from a board edge. I was like, oh, that's really close. <laughs> <laughs> um, so was this at your local games club? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was pretty great. Um, one of the guys who I played a lot of Age of Sigma with over the last couple of months, uh, he started a Death Guard kill team. And I know people online complain that Plague Marines aren't as good as they should be for their points in 40k the game. They are yep. ridiculous in Kill Team. They, they are found awful. their niche. <laughs> uh, like, was it one of them put up basically three rounds of shooting from almost my entire Kill Team without dying? It was it was awful. 
<laughs> it was just one guy who was standing there with the um the heavy flamer equivalent, and I'm like, mm. cool. I'll just focus fire on him. I'll I'll use the order to give my plasma gunner reroll once to wound, and the plasma gunner you know hit him twice and wounded him twice, and then just disgustingly resilient. And I'm like, oh god, <laughs> it's so strong. Um, <laughs> I can I can imagine seeing quite a few Death Guard kill teams actually because i suppose mm. a lot of people will have the models from obviously because a lot of people would have bought dark imperium yeah, and obviously yeah. a lot of people took death guard armies when they were sort of flavor of the month as well so mm. I, so it's quite good in some sense because you can imagine these same people that thought oh you know death guard are okay in 40k because i think they're <laughs> middle tier from what i understand in sort of normal 40k yeah, rules whereas yeah. like i said for people that are like oh they're just gathering a bit of dust well no, that's part of, that's part of the aesthetic of them uh, but they're gathering <laughs> dust and, <laughs> and yeah, this is a perfect opportunity to use them so i imagine mm. yeah you'll see a lot of death guard kill oh, teams yeah. Look, Toughness 5 is just, it's nuts to go up against. When I'm playing Guardsman, my majority of shooting is Strength 3, which is fine when <laughs> a lot of, when most factions in Kill Team are only Toughness 3 or maybe Toughness 4. And then, you know, along come Death Guard. We're all Toughness 5, except for the Poxwalkers, which we don't care about anyway. Um, <laughs> I've heard they're dark horses uh, in, in this game. I think I've heard that Poxwalkers can be, can, you know, have quite an impact on the game, supposedly. They can. Um, they had they had an impact in mind mostly for screening Overwatch, um, which is basically <laughs> my f- my first game ended up with me forming a gun line. I just put all my guardsmen in a line basically and went, okay, no, we we can't be any closer than this. We're going to get murdered. And then Poxwalkers just charged in, ate a couple of plasma shots, ate all the las gun shots, and then so um the guy with the Death Guard kill team has one melee specialist. He's a zealot, which means when he charges, he gets plus one attack and plus one strength. And mm-hmm. he gave him the the plague cleaver, the big two handed axe. And so this this plague marine on the charge has three attacks at strength ten, <laughs> AP negative three, D six damage. And I'm like, wow, mm. uh, splat. <laughs> He called him the butcher, obviously. Um, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Wouldn't argue with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and basically, once he got to the lines, that was it. Because I couldn't overwatch him because the poxwalkers were already engaging me. So this plague marine just runs in with an axe, and they have <laughs> death. They have death to the false emperor. So he rolls a six to hit. He gets another attack. And I'm like, oh god, <laughs> awful, awful. Um. <laughs> so what? So what were the results of these games in the end? Um, the Death Guard player won both, obviously. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but it was a lot of fun. There were a lot of really cinematic moments. Like my first game was actually quite close because it came down to the, to the Plague Marine with the axe and my Scion Sergeant and my Scion Sergeant went, you know what? I've got a power fist. If I charge in the shooting phase, I can make myself fight before he gets to fight in the assault phase. Cause there's an order called fixed bayonets where you can fight in the, in the shoot phase as well as the fight Mm -hmm. phase. So I charged him, and the Death Guard player went, ah, wait, let me do Overwatch. I was like, wait, what? He doesn't have a gun. He's got a big ass. like, but he has a grenade. (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And so rolled three three shots with the grenade, fine, but got two sixes for Overwatch. (laughs) Oh. So two hits. Uh, It's strength three, so he's only wounding on fours, but it's a plague grenade, so he rolls a four and a one. He re-rolls the one into a four, because plague weapon. So two wounds, I'm like, I've got a four plus save, and two flesh wounds. 
I need to pass both of these. I failed both of them, obviously. So my oh, no. my my heroic Tempestor just runs in and just gets melted by a play grenade just before he reaches combat. <laughs> but then but that's what that's the way yeah. it should be. Well, you know, it's yeah. in that's, I know it's unfortunate for you in this example, but it's mm. this is what should be happening. You should have these sort of scenarios in these sort oh, of yeah. games because it is yeah. these you know, very close battles where, mm. you know, you could see a Death Guard, a Plague Marine doing that. They'll chuck a grenade. Oh, because, absolutely. You know, that's, what, yeah. that's what they do. Yeah. And you can imagine, you know, the poor <laughs> Tower guy just getting blown apart. So, yeah. no, that's, yeah. that's really, it's really cool, unfortunately, well, for you. Yeah. He, he got his revenge, to be fair, because that was in the first game. And the second game had what is definitively my favorite moment in 40k related things ever, which is... That, that same Plague Marine with the big axe ran up on, charged up a building to get to my, basically, command squad. I'd hold up all my important people on top of a roof, and he made, like, a 12-inch charge to get up there. I was like, oh my god, it's happening again. <laughs> um, <laughs> no! But, but he couldn't throw a grenade at me anymore, so in the shooting phase, I ordered my Tempestor with the Power Fist to fight instead of shoot. And so he basically ran in, punched the guy's head off, more or less, with one hit, which is great. Like, you know, no armor because it's a power fist. He failed the disgustingly resilient, and then the roll to take him out was a six. So it was like, yes, we got him, guys. But then, <laughs> yes. But then, because you alternate shooting, that was basically my shooting initially. Uh, so my guy was no longer engaged with an enemy, so he was out in the open on the edge of this roof, and a death guard down in the street with a blight launcher just looked up and went, oh, and shot him in the head with a grenade, and he died. <laughs> <laughs> it was cr- like I just imagined him on top of the plague marine, raising the power fist, going, "Oh my god, I did it!" And then just a grenade hits him square in the face. <laughs> it was awful, but it was so good. Like it's such so, a good game for that kind of thing. <laughs> so, how long are the games lasting? Are they are they around this sort of half a ma- half an hour mark? They keep saying. Uh, both of those ended up being about an hour, but we were both learning them, and especially the second True. game, yeah. we actually had a third player. We did a three way game between a oh, nice. Scion focus kill team, so a, still Astro Militarium, but Scion based, and then my kill team, and then the Death Guard kill team. So that one obviously cool. took a lot longer, especially when both guard players ready instead of moving just ready to shoot almost all their models um <laughs> and you know we we had some things like we had grenade tennis where i had a grenadier in one building and the other guard player had a grenadier in another building and we just kept exchanging uh f- frag grenades because the distance penalties meant we should go for more shots than just a single crack grenade and just over like the entire game the two grenadiers didn't manage to hurt each other which was great um <laughs> Just like ping ponging grenades back at each other, it was <laughs> so weird. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm obviously going to play more of it because it's a lot of fun. And as I get more used to the game, I think it will definitely fall into that sort of thirty to forty five minute region for games, mm. which is great. Cool, it's awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, what else did I do? Um, so I, I did mention this uh, before we started recording, but the Wrath and Glory. Uh, PDFs have been sent out to people who pre-ordered, basically. So I've spent my afternoon reading through that. I say reading through <laughs> it. I've mostly been skimming um, because there's just so much goddamn stuff in that in that book. Um, <laughs> also, it's like a million things because it's you got the core rule book, you got the Dark Tides adventure, so like a campaign book as well. Plus, you got 
two sets of cards that you could print out and use as like wild cards in the campaign like you could play a card called i am alfaris we're all alfaris and force someone's identity in the middle of that sort of scene of the game to change so like introduce a plot element cards basically and there was a pdf for playing ogrins and ratlings which was really cool yes yes uh which is awesome they're like a species choice so you would instantly it's a little unclear where you apply them for, like, archetypes, but I, I would personally just take an Ogren and give them, like, the Imperial Guardsman archetype or a Ganger archetype, depending where they're that coming makes from sense, the character. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and that's really cool. Like, that's free content based on the number of pre-orders or something like that. It was whatever, but it's cool. It's free. I'll take yeah. it. Um, <laughs> basically, I've been skimming over the character creation rules, trying to work out how to actually make a character, and there's just so much stuff. And it's so complicated. I'm like, <laughs> I need a physical book so I can leaf through things and put little stickers in yeah. it. So I, I've done a slow read, but it's super interesting. It looks super flexible as well, which I'm really happy with. Like, uh, like you know, if you want to make a party of just guardsmen, but you don't want everyone to be exactly the same because there's only one guardsman archetype, what you do is mm-hmm. you can just talk with the GM and be like, listen, I think my guardsman should be the medic. And the GM's like, cool. Instead of jumping in front of someone to block an attack... You can learn the medic ability from the sister hospitala, or oh, you're the zealous one. Maybe you'll know the priest's ability to give a speech and fire everyone up and that kind of thing. And yeah, yeah I think it'll be really good for getting a great concept for a group together and then going on these weird, nutty adventures. Because there's a lot of crazy stuff in there <laughs> as well, from what I've seen. Um, I really want. Well, to I, see... I just I was going to yeah. say um, that yeah. you could, with going back to the guardsmen, you, I suppose on a narrative front you could say they're from different regiments you could say mm. they're from different worlds you, know, oh, you yeah. could have a jungle fighter as yeah. one of them um yeah you know you can really mix it up actually even mm. if the rules don't necessarily get affected but then i suppose if you've got a quite well, a flexible gm like you said mm. why not yeah yeah, yeah and there, there are work. actually there are actually rules for different regiments so like oh Cadians, there is yeah cadians get bonuses ah, to fear tests excellent and Kadishans get survival and vostroyans get um persuasion tests because they're all nobles which i thought was great um mm. <laughs> so yeah there, there's like variants in there there's like different space marine chapters as well uh there is just a ton of stuff um i want to see that i want to see the really mixed party working for a rogue trader where it's like you know a, a space marine cut off from his chapter and he has to go work with this rogue trader and it's like but who's that in in the back, all shrouded under robe? And the rogue trader's like, "Don't worry about him. He's our stealth specialist." And the commando just lowers the blanket over his head, just like, "You can't see me. I'm working with you, but you can't see me." <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I want to see lots of different things in the future. So I- I'm sure there'll be even more stuff to talk about once I actually work oh, out no how doubt. to play. Once I actually work out how to play the goddamn thing. But um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and yeah, and for reading, I finished reading Eight Lamentations, uh, The Spear of Shadows. It was a great book. Oh, yeah. Highly recommend. Good read. Sort of a cracking adventure, kind of, you know, hunt down the villain and stop him before something happens kind of deal with different factions <laughs> all gunning for the same item. Uh, it's almost like, um, what is it? It's like the first Avengers movie, kind of, where everyone wants the Tesseract. <laughs> kind yeah. of deal <laughs> except in yeah. this case it's a spear that can kill anyone you throw it at that kind of thing and Fair great play. ending and it feels like a setup for a series with different books each focusing on each of these eight weapons which i would love it that would be sounds awesome. great yeah lovely yeah um and yeah that's more or less my hobby for the last couple of weeks 
Cool. Excellent. You've had a nice, very time. Um, mm-hmm. Right. What have I been doing? Um, <laughs> apologies first. I haven't done that much over the last couple of weeks when it comes to hobby stuff. I've got an excuse, which is what I put on our Discord last night. Because mm. the last couple of weeks, in secret, I have <laughs> been on a secret driving project. Because oh, yeah. even though even though I'm in my 30s, I haven't been able to drive yet legally mm. because i have never done my test so uh <laughs> i finally got around to doing it so as of yesterday morning i had my driving test which luckily i passed thank you very much good, um good. <laughs> big weight off my shoulders so yeah i've spent a lot of my evenings and mornings basically having mm. sque- you know squeezing in as many driving lessons as i could so it's this definitely impacted my <laughs> hobby time unfortunately but the good thing is because i passed I don't need to worry about it anymore. So I can go back to mm. now, next couple of weeks, devoting time to hobby stuff. But I have done a little bit. So what have I been doing? I have now got Kill Team. It arrived a few days after the last time we recorded. It was a little bit mm. late. but And unfortunately, because of the aforementioned lessons, it's still in its shrink wrap at the moment. I'm, mm. I'm <laughs> embarrassed <laughs> to say, but... You know, it'll, it'll get opened in the next next few days. So I've got that to do at some point. Um, on the same day, a Mark III squad arrived that I ordered off eBay from the, I think it's yep, from the yep. Burning of Prospero Horus Heresy mm. set. And what I'm going to do with those, I don't know yet. So I've got a few options because it's a 10-man squad, of uh, a sprue. Um, I could, I don't know, could make them Alpha Legion. I could make them an really obscure Marine chapter. I do don't know really they're, mm. they're four kill team um i could turn them into a couple of kill teams because i've got 10 of them so i could yeah yeah i could split them up five five to you know two different little projects so i mm. don't know what i'm gonna do i'll have a i'll have a think um add it to the to-do list <laughs> the very massive to-do <laughs> list um what else i've been i've actually got into playing horus heresy legions okay. as well yeah which is yeah. the mobile game uh of the of that name and it's not usually my sort of stuff. I'm, I'm I used to, as we've discovered on our Discord, I'm, I'm a an ex Magic player because that that sort of conversation seems to be creeping into a lot of our conversations at the moment because we're all we're all either current or ex uh, Magic the Gathering players. But um, Horus Heresy Legions is a, a you know a collectible card game, and it's it's I'm actually quite enjoying it. It's all right. It's it's very similar to Magic or Hearthstone or anyone that's played those sort of games. So, you know, you're mm. you're a warlord of, of some sort um, against an enemy warlord. You've got a life total. And then, you know, you pick up a card every turn. Uh, you know, you put them in play. You've got different soldiers. You've got certain cards that will, you know, do certain damage. And then you get rewards at the end of it, um, which then you can use to buy more yeah. card packs. You get like a free card, you know, thing to open mm. every four hours or something you know it's you know you can spend real money on it i haven't done i've just i'm just using just the free stuff really and yeah it's it's not bad i you know i i, I it's one of those sort of things i'll just i just don't mind playing mm. for you know the spare five ten minutes as and when again because i've been pushed for time over the last couple of weeks i've just it's you know it's an easy game i've got my grab my tablet you know have a couple of games and yeah, yeah it's all yeah. right and it's it's quite good as well in some sense because it's quite authentic to the horus heresy as well so you've got a lot mm. of units from it um you've got a lot of characters from it you uh, you know it gives you little little sort of tidbits of lore in there as well mm. you've even got um 
certain phrases that the your warlord can can say you know as part of i mean i think it's more from a cosmetic point of view but mm. no i think you know if it's on ios and android as far as i know i've got it on android and yeah it's it's you know yeah if you want to you know if that's the sort of thing if you you know you're familiar with sort of those sort of card game based mm. uh, games and you like horus heresy you can't really lose with it um i yeah, think yeah. from what i've read about it though is it's the sort of game where you do need to eventually invest a fair bit of money in yeah, if you want to get sort yeah. of top tier but if you just want a casual game like i'm doing mm. you don't really need to spend anything because you're just getting cards thrown at you every day really so and i think as of yesterday they, they're they're added <clears throat> excuse me they're adding various legions as they go so i think they're mm-hmm. they're just about to add or just have added the salamanders for example um you've got so far you've got death guard you've got emperor's children you've got the world eaters mm-hmm. so but then there's still some that are missing like i don't think we've got blood angels yet we haven't got ultramarines yet for example so so yeah i mean i think it's still technically considered like an early access game of some sort yeah, um, okay. but yeah, I you know it's free cool. download. Yeah, you yeah. Know, give it a go if it's that sort sort of thing. Um, I've done no modelling or painting because of my time, <laughs> so I've, but I have done a little bit of reading at work and things like that. So I've just finished recently the third Eisenhorn novel, nice. Hereticus, nice. which was fantastic. Glad well, the whole series, it. all three yeah. of them, is yeah. is just absolutely <laughs> spot on. Um, they're, they're, it's one of those sort of series, a bit like Gaunt's Ghosts and things like that, mm. where they've got they've got a reputation. And I, with Eisenhorn, I can see why it's got the reputation it has. It is a fantastic trilogy. It, you know, you just him as a character is yeah. is just great anyway. But I think I've really done well by listening to it because I've, I've checked, I've listened to all three novels on yeah. Audible and. Just the way you know, I think it's um, Toby Longworth. I think is the um, is the voice actor for him, and he, you know, it's, you know, when someone's got the right voice for the character, you think, yes, this is exactly what Eisenhorn <laughs> would sound like. <clears throat> Excuse me, and he, he's got it spot on, and and just all the it, the the level of characters in it is just absolutely fantastic, and you know, and you do well. I did anyway. I definitely got quite emotionally involved in the oh, novel, yeah. especially this third one. You know, when certain characters mm. are getting killed off and without spoiling anything it's, oh, it's yeah yeah it's a yeah. really really good book um mm. i must admit i i've sort of if i had to put them in any order i think first one's the best second one's probably my least favorite and the third mm. this third one was the middle one out of the three but they're but you know they're, yeah. <laughs> they're still okay. all fantastic so, yeah but, yeah oh man um I you've read remember. them all haven't you yeah i'm just flashing back to when i first read them now they were so good <laughs> oh man yeah. Um, my so my thing think, was I I read them right after I read the Ravenel series, so I kind of worked backwards uh, yep. from there, which was really yep. interesting because like the Ravenel series, you get mentions of Eisenhorn, but no one really yes. explains who he is. And then I went back and read Eisenhorn. I was like, oh wow, okay, I see now. <laughs> <laughs> I think what I like about these novels is you they're very straightforward and easy to visualize, even though they're talking mm. about quite complicated thing like what i mean by that is if you read a sort of a a stereotypical space marine novel you know Mm. for most of us that are into this sort of stuff you know and can visualize what what you're seeing or sorry what you're reading so you know yeah i know what a space marine looks like oh you know space marine this space marine blows the head off of another space marine or you know or an orc or so you know you can visualize yeah i know exactly what that's with obviously eisenhorn because it's more intricate it's more about the characters it's you know it's all about the inquisition and and things like that it I think I just find them very, very easy to visualize, even though there, there's a lot of things you wouldn't necessarily 
I, I don't know, no to hand. You know, you wouldn't, yeah, you know, when yeah. they're sort of describing something, you're thinking, I don't know what, I've never seen what that is, but I, you know what, I yeah, can visualise what that it. is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the strength of the writing in this, mm. in these books. So I think, yeah, yeah. If, if you've not ever read any of the Eisenhorn novels, go read them or listen oh, to yeah, them. Oh, yeah, definitely. Especially because they're <laughs> brilliant. So I'm, I think um, I'll definitely move on to um, the, the Majos, which I think is the, the fourth book but well yeah. it's not actually part of the trilogy though i don't believe yeah. i think it's i think it's, it's like a prequel is it set afterwards because i, I, I can't it was a remember it might be a prequel i haven't well, read uh, it yet the, re- the problem so <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, the only reason i say it's i think it's a prequel because by the time of the third book he's looking like an old man really whereas mm. if you look at the cover of the fourth book oh Main yeah Jossi, true he's true. now you know he's back to being a young man and i don't believe that's uh, any sort of magic going on there? No, no. <laughs> so, so I think, I, but I could be wrong on that. I don't know. I'll find out when I get around to reading it. It's, it's quite yeah. big as well because it's it's easily double the size of the others. I know. Even just looking it's at it crazy. from a audible point of view, because I think like book three was about a ten hour listen, whereas this yeah. one's about twenty hours. It's a really big book. So, yeah, nope, yeah. That's, exactly. I'm looking forward to reading it. that myself. So we should read that sometime. <laughs> Talk about it on the show. Um, yeah, that's a good idea, yeah. actually. That'd be really cool. Um, right, what else? Um, I finished Hunger, which was that mm-hmm. short little audio drama I think I mentioned yep, on the yep. last show, which is based around the Flesh Terrors. Again, really good. I think when I I spoke about it, I was about 20 minutes in of about an hour and a quarter audio drama. And like I said, I just finished it. And it, yeah, it's really good for, like I said, it's it's very cheap on Audible. It's about, well, over here, it's about £3.50. You know, it'd be so mm. many dollars everywhere else. Yeah, it's not very long, but it's good. It's like, it's, it's you know, it's more quality over quantity. And yeah, you just get a bit more insight about the flesh terrors. You know, they're taking on... Uh, some Tyranids. Uh, I won't really say much more because I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll give any more info. You'd, you'd probably wouldn't get around to listening to it because you yeah. would know all about it. Um, but yeah, <laughs> well, you know, again, if you got a you know spare bit of money and you just want something to listen to for an hour or so, yeah, check out Hunger. Mm. It's really, really good. Awesome. And the last thing I've been doing is I'm continuing on reading Khan the Red Path, which I picked mm-hmm. up a, a little while ago about Khan the Betrayer. Um, yeah, it's not bad. I'm, I, it's not not the best novel I've read so far. It's a bit like it's something. It's, it feels like a novel that's missing something. You get the idea of Khan and uh, the way he's portrayed, but it's a. You know, have you ever read read a book where you feel like something's yeah, like something's missing or something's been taken away from it? It's sort of mm. where you think, yeah, yeah, but where's where's the next bit? Where's you know? It's almost like it. <laughs> he goes, yeah, 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 uh, and then sort of drops. You know, so sort of, it doesn't get yeah, to that level yeah. where you think it's going. It's a bit like that, but you know, it's I'll I'll finish it, and you know, it's it's cool. It's Khan the Betrayer. He's a badass. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think that's that's um, been all my hobby stuff, really. It's yeah. been a little bit of reading, and that's about it, really. <laughs> so, but hey, it'll improve next time. So, exactly. um, yeah, we'll we'll take our first little break now, and then when we're back, we'll see what's been going on in the news. Back shortly. Yeah. And welcome back. It's news time. Let's see what's been going on, and let's start with something positive. Let's talk about um, G Dub's profits. It's uh, it's uh, it's been a good time for yeah. the company. Yeah. So this went up fairly in the last sort of couple of weeks. Um, looking at the stats, they've done I think sales of two hundred twenty million pounds, mm. which is 
mate giving them a very healthy profit. Yep. yep. So yeah. So Cameron, what's your what's your thoughts on this? Um, my thoughts is this is all my fault. What have I done? Um, yeah. <laughs> what have we done? I should have done. It's this. funny, isn't it? We we get back into the hobby, <laughs> and then their profit is sore. Yeah. Mm, coincidence. Suspicious. Maybe. I have no money, and yet mm. Games Workshop has all of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think this is honestly uh, just a sign of the times. It's like, like um, I've, I've been saying and thinking a lot recently, but it's New Games Workshop, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're doing yeah. things, for the most part, really well. Um, honestly, I've got like one gripe over the last year almost with them, and that's about it. Well, two now, I guess, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um <laughs> <laughs> you sound like an old man there. Like, I know. Oh, I've, got, oh. I've got two little gripes. Well, no, I'm, um, I'm, just, I'm just picking up on the old dispossessed. I'm getting my book of grudges. So far, it's a pretty clean <laughs> book. Um, there's not a lot in there because Games Workshop has been doing very well. Um, this is yeah. basically, it's. I've seen nothing but stories of I'm getting back into the hobby. Like, I, I was literally just looking at the, uh, the Age of Sigma Reddit. <laughs> in the little break we had and one of the post- first posts I saw was restarting after more than a decade it was a picture of someone with a Caradron Overlord's big box which was pretty cool um people are just coming back to the hobby um yeah yeah it's just they've they've done it properly somehow they managed to turn it all around uh which is good yeah I'm happy about it <laughs> I, th- I think it, I think it's a it's a combination of things I think the fact like you said it Number one, it's New Games Workshop. You know they've got an you know a proper YouTube channel. They've got the the new Stormcast podcast, for mm. example. You've got a customer service that um, no, no competition. Um, yeah, you've got, you've got a, a, a customer service which you know is very very mm. good. Got a very yeah. good reputation. You know the the other things like. Plastic Sisters are coming, you know, they're listening, they did that massive survey, find out what people want. And over like you said, overall, they're not they've not been making many mistakes. They've made a few mm. little things. I think like for example, I know Forge World is, you know, slightly yeah. disconnected from it, but yeah. the way they've been dealing with the last chance to buy has not been the best. They could be a, they could have been a lot more vocal with the way they did it, especially with how vocal the games workshop side of things are. So I think really they've you know they've dropped the ball a little bit on that, but not enough obviously to <laughs> affect their sales mm, and things like mm. that. I think also secondly, f- for a lot of us who, right, I'm going to be quite stereotypical here, but you know I'm I'm not meaning this the way that it comes across, but yeah. people like us uh, that are into Games Workshop and of this sort of age, you know, mm. we're in our twenties, thirties, forties. Again, uh, it could be different ages to that, but. You know, we we je- a lot. There's a good chance we like video games. Yeah. There's a good chance we like collectible card games, for yeah. example. Yeah. You know, this. You know, <laughs> we'll have been into them at some point. You know, mm. in and out. You know, we, let's yeah. be honest. They'll be. We're the key I'm just demographic. Myself. We're the key demographic. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, for for a lot of people, for example, and we've seen it with board games. So putting aside, you know, games workshop and yeah. wargaming type of things, board games are getting a massive resurgence as well oh, yeah. because people are sort of, get, you know, again, a bit where it comes to like video games, for example, mm. which obviously we both love as well, is that the people are dropping them a bit more because of mm. the shady business yeah. that goes on with yeah. them, like DLCs and microtransactions. <laughs> Everything's digital. So you haven't got anything, you know, you haven't got anything physical uh, for your money. Yeah. Whereas, you know, whereas, you know, now you think mm. to yourself, right, for example, Let's look at Kill Team. So Kill Team, I got by purchasing it from a independent store. I got it for just over sixty pounds over here. Mm. Now, for that same sixty pounds, I could have bought a 
you know, a PlayStation 4 game, for example, yeah. give or take. I know yeah. that that's a bit more, but, you know, if I bought it digital, for example, it would be about mm. probably about £60, a brand new title. And, you know, it's a, you know for that £60, you could have, you know, if it's a, not a massive game, you could have 15 hours of entertainment mm. and that's it. You've got nothing for your money, physical, especially yeah. if you bought it digital. Yeah. Whereas Kill Team, you know, just think what you've got for that. You've got, you know, potentially years mm. of... <laughs> stuff over you know you've got the actual like I said the physical models you can yeah you know you're getting a lot for your money so I think yeah I think that's they've that's benefited them a lot anyway yeah, this whole yeah. board game war game oh resurgence. yeah I agree like um god was it last night I started playing Kingdom Death again uh most world's oh, yeah. most famous giant board game and I, I you know because Gen Con swung around and they held all the cool demos for the new expansions they're making like oh man I should I should start playing that again. And I thought back and I double checked what the Kickstarter for Kingdom Death like a year ago was. They earned twelve million dollars. Um, wow! For that Kickstarter, um, mm. and that is a quality board game. To be fair, we had like a solid four hours of nothing but fun. It's like it's this cultural thing right now. I think like we see it like not only just normal board gaming, but things like D and D as well are way on the rise. Mm. It's this sort of cultural, re- not revolution, cultural shift towards people really enjoy this kind of fantasy or sci-fi or whatever particular genre, but they enjoy sitting down with people and doing something face-to-face with physical things a lot more uh, than, say, the last 10 years. Then, you know, yeah. Games Workshop just managed to turn around the image at the exact right moment in the, in the sort of the cultural mind shift towards tabletop again, I guess. Who knows? Which I think, which I agree, and I think they, they've also benefited from the fact that you know we're in a world of streaming and mm. you, know, you know digital platforms. So you, you know, for example, you it's not just uh, you know a group of people down at their local store. It is to a degree, but you know if you want to be if you're like a lot of people where well let's use my let's use myself as an example. I'm you mm. know I'm a, I'm a guy in my thirties, you know with a fam with a family house and all you know all these sort of typical things you'd have at this age and you know and obviously time is a is always an issue and sometimes you're like oh, i can't get down to a store because i did you know and it's hard to meet people sometimes for example and then at least i can you know you can go on to twitch you can go on to youtube you can go on to you know warhammer tv and, mm. and just you know and just see what's going on you know this you know go on disc uh, discord and just chat with people it's it, you know it's so much more accessible to chat to people even if you can't be with them in you know, physically in person, with yeah, them, which yeah. I know slightly goes against what you were just saying about people <laughs> yeah, like to be yeah. together. But it, you know, but it, I suppose what I'm trying to get across is is options. People yeah, have options absolutely. now, absolutely, of how they want to be into the hobby. Mm. You know, because you know the hobby is already diverse. You've got painters, you've got gamers, you've got you know law buffs. You know, you've got everything mm. like or a combination of those things. And now you you know for every one of those options, you've got options within those mm. of how you want to get your you know if you're into law you listen to podcasts you go on youtube mm. you read books you know if you want to again same principle if you're a yeah. painter you you know you go on you you know youtube is perfect for that if you mm. you know if you're like oh, I'd, I'd love to know certain techniques go on youtube mm. work out how mm. to do it and it's it's these digital platforms are amazing if they're taken advantage of and that i think that's sort of in overall that's what games workshop have done and it's yeah. really yeah. sort of <laughs> to their benefit ultimately <laughs> yeah and like it's also encouraging what they're doing with these record profits because i read an article basically they've just bought a whole bunch of land in nottingham and they're expanding mm. their site a lot by like several acres apparently so that's really yeah. awesome like they're going okay look we can't 
double down and say what we're doing right now is perfect we don't need to change or expand in any way they're going no let's take this for what it is a potentially temporary boom and make sure we invest in the company's production abilities so we can continue exactly. to grow which yeah. i mean you know they they add like another four buildings or another entire wing to the production factory i'm really excited to see what will start coming out of them because they've been going yeah. at a breakneck pace this year, and I feel like this isn't going <laughs> yes. to slow them down. Um. <laughs> no, exactly. And, it, and, and that's a good point, that the fact that they can they can ride this wave now, they can, mm. you know, use this to their advantage. And it's it's nice that they, you know, despite this is, you know, the biggest profit they've had for ages, that mm. that they can, they like I said, they're reinvesting it. They're putting it into the hobby, back into the, you know, the company. And, it, and like we've said before, ultimately... A, you know, a strong games workshop is win-win. Mm. You know, if, you know, we've had, you know, there's been dark days before with, with this company. So ultimately yeah. if they're, you know, on a high, which they are, which, you know, mm. like we've just mm. been, we've covered multiple times on this show that ultimately it benefits us as, as customers, as hobbyists ourselves, you know, yeah. the, the, the better they do, the better we do. Not our bank balances, but <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately, it, you know, it, it's like, like I said, it really is win-win for everyone. So no, I th- it's and it's quite funny over here in the UK, especially the fact that obviously they're a UK company that mm. like the BBC was covering them, and you know all the big newspaper, you know, like yeah, let's be honest, Games Workshop is a is not a mainstream company in the you know for non. You know, people in, in that are not interested in the hobby. You know, you 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 know, you'd have heard of a certain company. Whereas Games Workshop mm. is like, oh, well, yeah, I've heard of that. I think I don't yeah. know who are they. Yeah. You know, so it's it's nice for them to get proper coverage. So it shows how well they're doing, and obviously, again, using it to their advantage. So yeah, well done, mm. well done, yeah. G Yeah, cool. I mean, right. So, that being yeah. said, <laughs> Adeptus <laughs> Titanicus is five hundred bucks here, <laughs> which is Ooh. a. It's it's yeah. Adeptus Titanicus is now out for well, I think I've, today of this recording, yeah. so it's up for yeah, it's up for pre-order, <laughs> and it's damn expensive. Um, yeah, and we actually asked on our Twitter poll as well mm. um, the, what people were going to do about this because basically the the main edition, which is the Grandmaster edition of Adeptus Titanicus, is well over here is a hundred and seventy five pounds. Mm. Uh, over your end, it's five hundred. Um, yeah. I think. Yeah. It's about three hundred odd dollars in the US, something yeah. around that. Yeah, um, it's not cheap. I'll tell you what, <laughs> it's a very ex- it's uh it's about six hundred bucks in New Zealand. <laughs> wow, they it's, get it, these they get it worse scary than us. numbers. I don't mention it much, wow. but the New Zealanders don't have a great time uh, with games workshop. Bad pricing. luck, guys. <laughs> that's, that's, that is insanely expensive. Yeah, and yeah. It, so we we so we did a Twitter poll just to see now that. Because they the prices did get mm. leaked a bit early, um, which obviously is a good thing. Well, I don't know, it depends. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it obviously made a decision for a lot. Let's say, yeah, it made a decision for a lot of people, mm. including I think some of us. Yeah. So yeah, we put on the Twitter saying, "Look, now we know the price. Are you in for Adeptus Titanicus, or is it now put mm. you off?" And sort of from the votes, uh, it was thirty six percent said yes, as in yes, I'm going to carry on, I'm going to buy it. You know, yeah, even with this yeah. price, and therefore sixty four percent said no, which uh, not not bad. I mean, yeah, considering yeah. It, I thought it'd be less than that uh, in mm. the yes column. I must admit, yeah, I thought because yeah. you know it's a combination. It's a very niche game, and it's mm. expensive. So yeah, I, mm. I I understand why it is expensive because in the big box you are getting basically everything you'll ever need for the game 
Like, you can play Titanicus forever, probably, with just that box with a bunch of knights and two yeah, warlords. I agree. You're getting a bunch of templates, a bunch of dice, a bunch of rules books, a bunch of other books, all these other physical things. It's a very big box. The My main problem with it, and I've been thinking long and hard about this, because over the last couple of weeks, I've been thinking about why I didn't really feel Titanicus as much as maybe some other people. And I think it might have been... It might have been Kirioth on YouTube. Um, he does a lot of great Warhammer content. Uh, I think yep. he, he think he talked about what put him off of it initially, which is basically, is my opinion, it boils down to you can't use these models for much else. Um, yeah, that's that's. Yeah. His, I, I watched the same video. Yeah, he said he, he said it was the lack of flexibility. Yeah, you couldn't use them in other systems, could you? Mm. Yeah, and like it, it's a bother because the Warlord model looks amazing, and of course, I want to be a proud member of the Warlord Owners Club, even if it's in miniature <laughs> scale. Here's yeah. your badge and baseball cap. Here's my badge and baseball cap. Um, and, like, it looks like a great model, and according to everything they've said, it's, like, very poseable, very highly detailed and everything. That's awesome. But it's smaller than a knight. It's the same price as a knight over here in Australia. Mm-hmm. I've been working with the knight kit for the better part of a month and a half, and that kit is worth every dollar. I have a deep down feeling that the Warlord kit with no actual <laughs> options, just a bunch of posability, will probably not be worth that. And then, mm-hmm. you know, upscale yeah. that to a game where, oh, we've got all this tiny terrain. I'm like, well, I can't use this for it. Maybe I can use this as a chest high wall, this this line of skyscrapers or whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just like, it, it's that inflexibility is the problem. Because like, if I really had a strong desire to get into Titanicus, that's perfect. That's fine. I pay once. I probably never have to pay for anything else unless I want to get like a Warhound or a Reaver, and then I'd probably only need one. But as it stands, I'm like, I don't. I'm not super excited about the system. Like we've not seen a lot of how it plays. Presumably, it's similar to the old Adeptus Titanicus from way back, or the Epic systems of way, way back when, working on a similar scale, but. I mean, I'll go, I'll play a demo game if there's one available at the store. If it really hooks me, maybe I'll turn around on it. But for now, it's prohibitively expensive um, yeah. and inflexible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's Like I said, it's it's a very niche game. And like you, it's one of those things where I think I, I would love it. You know, it's, don't get me wrong. If I could afford it and it was, it was more the price of the other book, you know, the other board games or sorry, the other box sets that we've seen recently, like Soul Wars and things like that. If it was around that price, I probably wouldn't even hesitate. I'd be like, yep, mm. that'll be fully worth it. But when it's getting to that sort of price and it's also something you think, right, are you going to play it that often? Like you said, you can't yeah. combine it with any other game system. It's it's a real investment with, I mean, I, I suppose if you've got a few of you mm. where, because like, for example, and I think they mentioned it on the Warhammer community website is they recommend for say, mm. say you and I, we want, yeah. you know, we're, we're, we're buddies in the same, in the same, uh, in the same continent. area, <laughs> same continent would be handy. Yeah. <laughs> Not the uh, seven hours apart <laughs> in time zones at the moment. Yeah. If we were like in this situation where what we could do is we bought between us, we buy the, the grandmaster edition, uh, at mm. that price and then you buy the rules pack which yeah. over here is 35 pounds mm. so you know you combine the two so you so over here you look at that's 210 pounds for the for the pair of them or you know probably cheaper if you get them from an indie store and therefore you use the combination you've got you know between mm. the pair of you you've got enough to play for ages yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah like, but like i said you've got to have that commitment whereas 
in comparison, let's use Kill Team as an example. Mm. You can buy Kill Team, and it, you know, again, I, I paid sixty pounds for that, and yeah. you get yeah. a lot for the money. You can use it in forty k. Mm. You know, you could mm. use the train in Necromunda. You could, yeah. you know, you could Absolutely. use it in forty k. Obviously, yeah. you know, you've got lots of options. You're not feeling mm. you've got a big, big fat rule book with it. Yeah, you've got yeah. nice dice, nice um, dice, and <laughs> and you know things like that. So you, yeah. you feel like you're getting what. Whereas I'll be honest, mm. I don't think the price of it is worth it either. Mm. I think putting aside it being a very specialist and niche game, I don't think what you get in the box is worth what they're charging for it. Unfortunately, yeah, I think personally, yeah. I don't. Th- you know, there's not enough in there. Mm. for it I, I, I don't know whereas if you can compare it to Soul mm. Wars think what you get oh, yeah. in Soul Wars for your, for your money um, Dark again same with Dark Imperium you know you're getting a big massive rule book you're getting you know almost 60 miniatures and you know and heroes in there you get you know you're getting a lot as well as obviously all the the accessories as well and whereas when you actually look at the model count in you know in the Grandmaster edition for example it's mm. like yeah but you're not I don't know I do, I, mm, it's a bit too much I think for my liking but mm. they obviously thought it was the right price for it. So. Yeah. But, and there'll be people buy it. People will be oh, buying yeah. it. There's just, it's just a, a different crowd, potentially. Yeah, um, like, I mean, just, like, comparing it to Kill Team, like, earlier today, I watched a video which is, you know, a way to get into Kill Team for under 50 US dollars for every faction. Oh, was like, that um, Tabletop Minions? Yeah, yeah, that guy. Yeah. That was great. And, like... You still get a lot of options, even in that, because, like, a lot of them are just the basic infantry kit. And it's, like, Kill Team is super accessible as well, as, you know, you can still use the models if you want to upgrade to 40k afterwards. And, like... Yeah. I'm I'm just really not feeling this. This is my nice, shiny warlord and its tiny, tiny knights all around its feet. They (laughs) sit here in my cabinet until once per, you know, every six months or something, I go out and actually find a game of Titanicus. I was just like, uh... Yeah... Yeah, because th- therefore it becomes, like I said, a niche within a niche, really. Mm. Because I suppose, mm. you know, if you use Horus Heresy slash Warhammer 30k as an example, again, there's a very devoted fan base for that. But again, it's not an easy thing to play yeah. compared to trying to find someone that wants to pay f- play 40K. 40k, for example. Yeah. So again, this is a niche within a niche. So that, you know, <laughs> if, you're, if you've got this, it's going to, you know, I'm not saying it would be impossible to find people to play with. But mm. again, you're getting less and less options of who, who you can play with. And therefore, it ends up becoming a bit of a collectible edition, which yeah. again is fine. But yeah. you know, it's it's a shame because yeah. like back in the day when I was a kid, I used to play a lot of Epic Forty K mm. and Epic Titan Legions, and I don't again, I, I can't remember the prices at the time, but they never seemed silly. And again, you had lots of options yeah. with it as well. It was yeah, yeah. Whereas this, I I don't know. I think that because. It's a limited run, isn't it? I think I believe with I, this. I or, don't know. Or, it might not be. Uh, I've not well, I d- heard anything myself about that. I don't. Well, think. we were talking about it on the Discord, and it sounds mm. like it could be because I think um, I said the Alchemist Workshop, which is one of the sites. That's where I, I buy my mm. games from, and it. Yeah, I think that they they were sort of suggesting that they may be a limited run of this. It could, yeah. you know, it's not going to be an easy thing to get hold of after a certain length of time. That could be completely wrong, but it's sort of it's those things are being suggested, which is, again is a shame because you know in a year's times, you know, say you you think you know what, yeah, bugger it, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna get this now. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I've got the spare money, I'm gonna buy it. You may then struggle to get hold of it, and it's like oh, oh yeah, you know, it's a unless bit they of make bother. it. And, yeah, uh, 
Like, I can only honestly see myself getting one of the standalone Warlords, maybe, if I Mm. felt like I really wanted one to put on display. Not for anything else, just to Mm. build it and paint it and be like, look, everyone, I've got a Warlord without having to spend (laughs) (laughs) $3,000. That's the thing. The actual prices of the the, the individual stuff isn't terrible. Oh, yeah. Um, Like, over here, the the set of three knights is £20, Mm. the Warlord is 65 and the scenery... Is twenty five. So yeah, they're not, yeah. you know, individually. That's oh, I agree. Not bad they're at actually all. quite well priced for what they are. Like, mm. but but as the big box set, it's like you stack all those prices together, and you're suddenly like, oh no, 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 that's actually too much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's never mind. I mean, it uh, is what well, it is. Isn't it is it? what so. it is. Yeah. Exactly. Right. We'll see how so, we'll see what... how successful it is over time. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll revisit <laughs> it. So, right, next bit of news, which is probably the last main bit of news, really, mm. is there's a few of the reveals at Gen Con 2018. Mm-hmm. So these are more, special, again, specialist and licensed games that have been announced. So, that, again, this is for, again, another t- particular demographic. This is for, again, part of, I suppose, GW's uh, I suppose remit to try and get more people mm. into the main games. So, for example, we've seen or they've shown Space Marine Adventures, which yep. looks yep. all right. It's um, basically the sort of the premise that they've given. It's you're basically a group of five Marines, which I think you can have from five different chapters as well. Um, mm. And they're basically going through a Necron tomb. So yeah. it looks a bit Space Hulk-like in a way from, you know, I, it doesn't really sort of, I, I don't think it really gave that much information, particularly about what, uh, I suppose, what the actual rules are, for example, but that's sort of the general premise of it. So, and they're going to be selling it in sort of, I suppose not from what they revealed, they're going to be selling it in non-sort of gaming stores, really. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. Which I think they... They sort of said it's like Barnes and Noble, which okay. we don't have over here. Yeah, that's but I think over here for people in the UK, it'd be Waterstones, which is yeah. predominantly a bookshop. Yeah. So I imagine they, this is the sort of place you'd be able to buy this in. So, you know, it's okay. for interesting. Most, yeah. 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 Um, same the same with Blitz Bowl, which is like a cut down <laughs> version of Blood Bowl. Yeah. Um, again, yeah. same principle. It's a you know it's it's another end you know sort of a gateway game into mm. Blood Bowl if yeah. that's sort of your thing. Um, they've also shown Lord of the Rings quest for Mount Doom as well, mm-hmm. um, which looks quite cool. Again, I, I, that's something I may potentially pick up because, you know, I know a couple of my real life mates are into that sort, you know, into Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, for example. So again, mm-hmm. this is maybe something that I could maybe get them into as a sort of a, a segue into the main sort of games. I don't know. <laughs> um, again, it looks cool. You got, you know, yeah. the, you've got the, yeah. the Fellowship of the Ring uh, models with it, for example, but again, they haven't really shown anything off. Uh, what's your thoughts on the other ones, like uh, like Gretchen's and Munchkin? Uh, uh, <laughs> I think they're interesting. I think they're because we've seen this before in Games Workshop's approach to um giving its IP out for video games. It's kind of a throw everything at the wall and see what sticks approach, um, <laughs> which can be all right. You end up with a lot of low quality iOS games and things like that. <laughs> No, no, dis- no disparage to the one you're currently playing. I'm sure that's very fun and well done and everything, but I'm talking about the ones where, like, it's plants versus zombies, but they're orcs approaching yeah. the space marine base yeah. and things like that. All that kind of nonsense. But we also, you know, get some genuinely good things out of that every now and again. And, like, at the end of the day, it doesn't affect me, and it might be for someone. Someone might be really into that. It's not going to massively affect Games Workshop's bottom line either because like 
honestly, slapping your brand on Munchkin is about <laughs> as low as it gets in terms of overt production costs. Like, Munchkin doesn't need things to be particularly balanced. It doesn't need high quality art. You know, the artist needs to be paid, obviously, and I'm sure they do quite yeah, well off true. it. But, you know, it's not like you're commissioning the normal 40k art of just, you know, a, a single portrait of the emperor that probably took a single artist like 700 hours in the in real life to do properly and you know they deserve to behave for their time there it's a bunch of stick <laughs> it's a bunch of stick figure drawings colored in um more or less <laughs> so like it, it's it's a lot of low risk potentially high reward things because people do like games like that um even people who aren't super knowledgeable of tabletop gaming and video games and all that kind of thing they do enjoy having a few little simple games like that around the house like you know everyone had monopoly growing up as a kid and yeah, things like that true and, you know, these days a lot of people have Munchkin or Cards Against Humanity or Super Fight. Those kind of card-based games are a little more popular for that kind of thing rather than the more complex board games like Monopoly. So I can see where they're going with it, and I think it's interesting. I'm definitely not going to play any of them <laughs> myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, I'll be interested to see how it works out for Games Workshop, which I guess we'll learn next year at their next financial report, see how well they did in that kind of other category. <laughs> yeah i i like i said i you know it's similar to some of the other things we covered that you know at the end of the day it's if it's another route in for certain individuals that mm. wouldn't be into this before and it gets them into it then that's great it's more people in the hobby so mm. i i don't you know you're right you've got to be they've got to be careful because like they like the like they did with the video game ip situation where it's a real scattergun approach to it and it's you know paid off in some ways and really not in the others mm. you know this is again nothing to lose because i for example if i use waterstones which is a a big book bookshop chain in the uk which again i would imagine this is where i would mm. see them they've got their own board game sections and you know when i'm in there i'll you know I, i'll look at the books and i'll then look at the board games and i'll find stuff that i have no you know like, oh i've never seen this one before what's this about <laughs> and you know and i'll mm. be honest i'll probably then look at it and then buy it online for cheaper but <laughs> putting that aside <laughs> you know if and that's what could happen in this case you know if you looked p- picked up space marine adventures um it, mm. it's a way you know if it's if it's reasonably priced and it's one of those sort of things like oh yeah well, i may give this a go i've heard yeah. i've heard of yeah. space marines i've heard of warhammer but i don't really know much about them mm. you know if it's if it and it you know or for some people that are into you know sci-fi for example that again really don't know much about Get, you know War, the warhammer for 40k universe they again they may pick it up and think oh this is quite cool and and if that's what mm. that, that's where it ends then okay yeah. no worries yeah. but if that then turns into oh i really like the idea but you know behind this sort of universe and this sort of gaming then you know they could then get into kill team they could then get into mm. 40k they could then mm. you know jump ship into age of sigma you know you don't you don't know where it leads i suppose that I can see where they're going for unless they've, like I said, they've got, they've obviously got Space Marine Adventures for 40k, they've got Blitz Bowl for Blood Bowl, they've got uh, Quest for Mount Doom for the Lord of the Rings Hobbit side of things. They haven't really shown an Age of Sigma kind of things, but I'm yeah. sure that that may be something that will appear oh, yeah. at some point as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, I don't, <laughs> again, like you, I probably, I'll probably, I'm, I'll, I'll look at the, like I said, the, the quest for Mount Doom, because I think personally my mates would be interested in playing that. And if it gets them playing with me, then, you know, mm. I can start <laughs> start that ball rolling. But yeah, for, for most people, I imagine they wouldn't, that, you know, the mainstream players wouldn't be probably interested in these. But, no, you know, no. there's no there's no harm in them existing, <laughs> is there? 
No, absolutely not. <laughs> cool. Um, and I think the last thing is some made-to-order dragons, Cameron. Yeah. Um, probably at the time of listening to this, they are no longer available. But, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, made-to-order continues another run. This time they're doing the old elven dragons. The No, not those ones you're thinking of. The older ones. Um <laughs> because <laughs> i know everyone immediately thought back to like the dark elf on black dragon is like isn't that still a plastic kit i'm like no no we have to go further back <laughs> you have to go all the way back um basically they, they've done i'm gonna say done because again this will be over properly by the time you hear this they've done malekith on the black dragon they've done the the two wood elf characters on the wood dragon and the high elf prince on the uh high dragon I forget the exact time. I forget all their names except for Malekith, because Malekith's the only one who survived the end times. So you know. <laughs> Yeah, um, the, the high elf <laughs> one is uh, Prince Imric. Yes, that was him. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it was the Sisters of the Thorn on the Wood Dragon? Uh, Something it's like that? the Sisters of Twilight. Twilight, that was it. One. Yeah. The Sisters of Thorn are still at, still a thing. Beg pardon. Um, yes, they are. Yeah. Yep. And, man, I mean, like... I kind of wish I had the money to burn on one of these because the old Warhammer dragons are so cute in a way. Like I really, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I adore are. the old style. Like they have these little hunched over bodies and these ridiculously long necks and these massive long crocodile jaws. They're really interesting and really different to a lot of um, model dragons, mm. especially modern ones. I can't feel, I kind of feel though they've left something out of their deep, deep history, which I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but I was digging through some of my old white dwarves, uh, last week, and this came, this came to mind, which is, um, have you ever heard of the Emperor Dragon by Games Workshop? It sounds familiar. Uh, it was basically a giant metal dragon made out of, you know, lead at the time, and it was so big yeah. that it, it didn't come with wing membranes, so you had to use alfoil to make the membrane for the wings. Oh, that's, yeah, that does yeah. sound familiar, actually. And I'm like, imagine if that came up on Made to Order. <laughs> Just like, oh, and wow. also this, this like, five kilogram monstrosity or whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, though, because they, 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 like you said, they still look really cool slash cute mm. for, you know, considering how old they are now. But yeah, I, just, I think what, what I always they bring to me when just looking at the photos of them now is that sort of bit of, you know obviously nostalgia but i think mm. i said to you when we covered soul wars or i can't remember now but basically one things i used to love when i used to play warhammer fantasy back in the day is that for mm. well the people i used to play with everyone used to have a lot of troops but you know you'd have the what you know the odd special you know special character or warlord you know you know if i play someone against the empire and they'd be like oh look, there's carl franz yeah you know he'd like he, he would really stand out on the battlefield whereas i yeah. think now some of these don't you know because of the the sort of level of the complexity of some of the miniatures now they mm. to me they don't stand out as much um i mean like for example if you're i don't know a sylvaneth player for example and you can have loads of tree lords for example and mm. you know yeah. they yeah. they you know it sort of dilutes it a bit whereas back in the day these things these sort of characters used to really stand out and i'm i sort of miss that to a degree and oh, it, yeah. just say, oh, oh yeah. you know it's yeah, I th- I think it's really cool that they do this though that they bring oh, absolutely. this opportunity. I I just <laughs> wish that it was a bit longer. To be honest, I mm, think a week is a not two, great. Two, you know, two weeks would be better. I think. Yes, I think so. Just give people a little bit more of a chance because of because of things like paydays, for example. You know, it could just give that person. Oh yeah, I can afford it now. Mm. If you just give me a week longer for it. Yeah, you know. yeah. 
But oh, no, man. really cool. No, super that cool. That nostalgia's stuff. coming back. I know, I know. <laughs> it's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, we've got plenty of miniatures. So yeah. cool. Right. I uh, right, I think that's it for the new stuff. Yeah. Like I said, it's been a yeah. you know, it's been a okay last couple of weeks news wise. Uh so we'll take our next little break and then when we're back, um let's talk about the Age of Sigmar poster boys and some ghosts. Hell back yeah. soon. <laughs> And welcome back. It's main lore topic time. <laughs> and we're going to the magical land of Age of Sigmar again. Yay. So <laughs> for the yes, because we haven't covered it enough, have we? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so for this one, we thought we would choose a bit more of a something more specific in regard to the new stuff. So rather than going through the Stormcast and Night Haunt battle tomes, which would take, well, just, yeah, it would just take forever. So, so what we've chosen to do is to talk about the lore about the new units. So in the case of uh, Stormcast, it'll be the new Sacrosanct chamber and the new units come with it. And then obviously the new Night Haunt uh, troops as well. So we'll, mm. So we'll we'll swap between us, just sort of give you know give you listening the you know general overview, just to, so you can understand right you know where they're coming from, why they've appeared in the law now, and uh, mm. what they're capable of doing. So yeah, yeah. should be a quite an interesting chat. Mm. So I'm going to start with an overview of the Sacrosanct Chamber that are now part of the uh, Stormcast Eternals because um, <laughs> they're quite quite an interesting. Actually, quite an interesting chamber compared to some of the others that I think when you first see them, especially with the new models, you know, yeah, these new models look really cool, but the actual law behind them is actually quite interesting mm. and their actual purpose, which I think we touched upon when we did cover Soul Wars. So basically the Sacrosanct Chamber, uh, basically every storm host um, that mm. the Stormcast Eternals have, which is, I suppose, like like their chapters, uh, has at least one of the has at least one sacrosanct chamber in each one, mm, but sometimes yeah. they will have more. Basically, the collection of the sacrosanct is they're a combination of former mages, wizards, priests. So back, you know, like we know with Stormcast Eternals, that when they're in their mortal states, they were enemies or uh, of chaos or sort of fought chaos as much as they could. But again, particularly with this chamber, they are very magical focused. That is, yeah, that is the yeah. reason they're they're brought together. And so, ultimately, this this particular chamber has been created by Sigmar, basically after his realization that the reforging process that we again we've touched on before is impacting the state of the Stormcast Eternals, and uh, in essence, is exposing their flaws. So Mm. he's thought, right, okay, this isn't working out for me. I need to find a way of dealing with this reforging process because my you know my soldiers are. You know, in some cases, uh, you know, losing their memories, they're, you know, showing mass amounts of rage, which wasn't there before, you know, as we Mm. covered again Mm. a few episodes ago. So, you know, he thought, right, I don't (laughs) clearly Sigmar realized his mistake and has realized he doesn't have the time or I suppose the the folk, you know, I suppose the focus on it. You know, he's got to focus on obviously the the great war itself. So he's like, right, okay, I'll build a chamber. I'll let these guys concentrate, and hopefully between them, they'll find an answer for me. <laughs> so, so basically, their role at this chamber is to monitor the reforging process. So they, mm. so it, they, they've got a few roles, but that's their main role. So by monitoring the reforging process, it's 
literally you know seeing how it goes um they also will look after souls that don't that didn't work out because as as part of the reforging process they the souls will sometimes try almost escape at times so they will (laughs) try to try to get them before they escape or uh, they will try to bring them back to if they're sort of showing because obviously as part of the reforging process it will literally um, you know it's almost like a survival of the fittest in some ways that certain souls you know will never be made back into stormcast they're not right in some sort of way they've got a flaw they're too evil you know it could be you know one of many different things or they're or they're just not strong enough to survive the reforging mm. process so but in some cases the the chamber will literally bring these souls back into a way where they can be still used in another way so which is mm. you know quite so it's a bit, almost a bit of science with these <laughs> with this chamber as well so the <laughs> the the sacrosanct members are bathed in the light of the high star sending um segindel uh which is basically where they given part of sigmar's power i know obviously all stormcast are given part of sigmar's sigmar's Mm. power as part Mm. of the reforging but but these guys in particular are given like a almost like a special (laughs) like a special (laughs) source of uh, of power from sigmar because ultimately if he didn't then they wouldn't probably be able to do their job as efficiently as you know they've been tasked with really which sort of makes sense what's also quite cool about them as well is that they are sort of i suppose told to to share their knowledge and you know that's the why he's picked all these former mages former priests is almost to be a collective and go right you know you you guys and girls are all very intelligent you all know what you're doing you know the fine arts Mm. you know get together and and share this knowledge between you so they they do that you know to do to, to be able to do their tasks so basically you've got the the lord arcanums which is their their sort of generals and you've got the six smiths the six smiths are basically these legendary beings that have been descended from grugney the uh, the dwarden god um basically they between them they make sure the process flows better and faster um yeah, you know and like i said yeah. even saving souls from the brink of destruction now the other advantage of you of this chamber as well is they they let the other chambers go to war so obviously the sacrosanct will mm. fight, but at the same time, by putting them in place initially, it's almost like it's freeing up other stormcast chambers to go out and do the fighting, while these guys yeah. and girls yeah. help, you know, sort of hang back a bit to to sort you know do the research to to monitor things because they're, they're sort of part guardian as well as a sort of you know a, a magical scientist of of sorts really. Mm. So so what you know they're protecting the reforging process and basically stopping things going out of control now due to the losses in the the realm gate wars which was a big toll for the the stormcast eternals they you know as you would expect they become very pressed um some souls could literally not be brought back and you know some escaped um mm. souls back and it's what's quite interesting it says in the in the book that basically the souls back that some of these souls that escaped they basically bound into the statues of mm. this particular area which is called the the avenue of saints okay now where it becomes whereas where you know like people are walking past these statues and they can hear the cries Ooh. of like you know it's almost like they're looking over the show <laughs> Did, did I just hear a noise? No, 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 it's fine. It's just the wind. It's like, help me. Like that in the... Um, so so even the Stormcast have got ghosts as well. Um, yeah, yeah, apparently. So it, it sort of it basically gets compared to like a soul prison. So, because mm. these souls have got to go somewhere. So they, like I said, they end yeah, up being in the yeah. statues, which is quite surreal. Um, so <laughs> as part of this as well, for for ages, basically as we said that this you know there's flaws in the reforging process that basically 
there's a lot of suspicions happening in regard to the defects of this particular process. But because obviously they didn't want it going to the surface, they basically were suppressing, you know, these mm. Rumors, you know, so basically, you got the Lord Celestants and the relector, the relictors were were basically going. No, no, don't worry, it's not happening. Nothing's, nothing's happening. Nothing to see here. Don't worry, you know, you, you, you're paranoid. Nothing, nothing's wrong, because I think basically they realised that they just didn't have the time and resource to worry about this you know because you, you know you fight like you said mm. you're fighting a war at the moment so at all well, and at all times so they haven't got time to sort of investigate these sort of things so they thought right yeah don't worry about it we'll 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 cover it another time and yes. so yes, then obviously the next quake <laughs> happened which was yep. a, a massive event yep. in the in the mortal realms and this basically pushed the sacrosanct chamber to the forefront because they they sort of realized they can't hang back and you know do their research and be guardians they they have to go to the front to to deal with the gash and and obviously mm. all the magic that's been <laughs> let loose in the <laughs> mortal realms now which was you know which had pros and cons obviously because they're the guardians of the the anvil of the apotheosis which is where the reforging happens mm. they left it unguarded which then in turn allowed the force the flaws of the stormcast to increase so if you imagine for for a good while they've been monitoring it you know you have the odd little flaw here and there but it's all going mm. well and obviously as soon as they they go oh sorry we're, our time's a bit thin now we need to go out and fight on the on the <laughs> in wars now obviously it then affected the process again so this in turn has sort of basically given them what's now probably their secondary role for the for the sacrosanct is which is basically mm. to find a solution to the reforging floor. So, you know, it involves now that they're travelling all to all different parts of the mortal realms, they're going to Shadespire, they're going to the Jade Kingdoms. Basically they're going anywhere where they think they may have answers to this problem. It's a funny one because it's almost like they're they're trying to look for something that they don't know what they're looking for. <laughs> it's it's, it's mm. quite a, a surreal sort of situation. So which, but it sort of makes sense because if they don't, if they sort of sit on it, then nothing's going to improve in some sort of way. So, you know, and as part of this duty is to basically recover or destroy rogue, rogue souls. So yeah. that sort of ends up, they end, they've sort of ended up having this sort of feared reputation now because of it as well. That, mm. you know, they're sort of almost like a bit like the Inquisition in some ways for, from yeah. an HC yeah. point of view to a degree. Um, but because of this sort of collective knowledge they they're all from different backgrounds and eras you've got like for example you've got the grave brethren which is um basically the the sacrosanct chamber of the anvils of the held and hammer now they're their sort of generals are from a different time like but then they basically they've got mysterious powers that they used uh shaman magic to basically like turn the gold to granite in this particular <laughs> rebel city for example yeah, which yeah. i think was hilarious imagine all these rebels in this city and they're sort of like oh look all this gold we've got Oh, oh do you man. know what, guys? We are rich. Uh, and then they turn around and go, uh, "It's it's got a bit heavier." What do, what do you mean? Uh, it's made of granite. And then you've got all these uh, <laughs> all these grave brethren are just laughing miles away, going, "Do you see what we did over there?" So, um, so yeah. So, but like I said, in essence, that is what the sacrosanct chamber are. And they're now, you know, due to this Nagash Necroquake, they have mm. been brought to the forefront, and that is why they are here. Right. Okay. So, um, yeah, Cameron, let's talk about some Nighthaunt. What's yeah. going on? Yeah. So, Nighthaunt backstory is not quite so complicated. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it boils down to essentially they are ghosts. Uh, Nagash has done this to them because they were terrible people. They've earned this themselves, except for the ones that didn't, um, <laughs> which there are a few of. Um, so, I'm actually just going to more or less jump right into it um, and Go for start. It. 
yeah, I'm going to start with Lady Olander, who's the Mortark of Grief. She's sort of the leader of Nighthaunt, the Nighthaunt faction as a whole. She's, you know, the first new Mortark. We've already had Archon and Manfred and Neferata sort of ruling the roost for a while, but with the Necroquake and all these ghosts just rising up goddamn everywhere, they needed to be a leader because they were kind of, you know, attacking indiscriminately, not being very organized, and so ghosts could be beaten back, they could be defended against, but now, with actual leadership in place, they're getting places. These ghosts, they've got a plan. <laughs> That's it. Um, yeah. Five-year plan. <laughs> and a few exactly. managers. Five-year plan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah, so, um, so Lady Olander is the Mortark of Grief because... Uh, she embodies it quite literally. She's been cursed by Nagash to feel the heartache and the grief and the horror and sorrow of every single person in all the realms all at once forever. You know, is your normal God hates you curse. Um, she was in life, not a very nice person. Um, <laughs> as I'm sure they never you'd be are, are they? to find out they never are. <laughs> um, she, and I'll double check the what name on this place. Da, 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 da. Where is it? Uh, I was just looking at There it is. She was from the country of Dolorum, uh, a country in Shaish, which was one of the largest civilizations in Shaish at the time. Uh, and she was a social climber. You know, she plotted and schemed and climbed up the social ladder until uh, she caught the attention of the prince of Dolorum, and they got betrothed. They were engaged to be married. Until oh. one... Yeah, it was very nice. It was very sweet. Everyone loved her. The public was very approving. Until one night, the king and the prince mysteriously disappeared. No clue where they went. They're just gone. Oh, it's a, it's a terrible, <laughs> terrible, terrible time for the country. And, of course, there's no one else to rule. It must be Lady Olander. She'll have to take over, even though she's mourning and she's grieving. And she's going through all this. Look at her. Walking out Tough amongst times. the people. Yeah, walking out amongst the people in her veil, displaying her grief publicly, but, you know, doing her best to uplift the people of Dolorum still. Everyone loved her, and beneath her veil she was smiling all the time, because of course she did it. You know, exactly how it goes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, this was all well and good, until Nurgle attacked Dolorum as part of the Age of Chaos. Oh. You know, Chaos Gods doing their thing, wrecking everyone's you know, countries and cities. Um, now, initially, Dolorum as a country was also a faithful country. You know, it worshipped Nagash, as is right and proper if you live in Shaish. Of course, yeah. worship Nagash, yeah. Um, but under her rule, that tradition had died down. You know, she was much more focused on herself and didn't want religious power interfering with her authority and things like that. And basically, when Nurgle's forces attacked, she prioritized her own safety above everything. You know, she said, you know, <laughs> protect the palace, fall back from the walls, I want every guard in the palace, etc., etc. And while every single citizen of Dolorum was, you know, dying of plague or being put to the sword by chaos warriors and that kind of thing, she was safe and happy in her palace. Uh, and not once did she pray to Nagash. Um, and, you know, eventually Nurgle breaks through the palace and Nurgle Warlord comes up to her and, you know, she attempts to bargain with him. She attempts to parlay with the agents of the Chaos God of Disease and Death. Um, As you do. And, yeah, and Nagash goes, you know what, actually, no, that is enough. <laughs> and just <laughs> strikes her dead, dies instantly oh. on the spot. Yeah. Wow. Um, and claims her soul as his own. And she becomes a creature, a sort of an entity known as the Veiled Lady. Um, and Nagash... He, he was watching this whole thing with interest for, you know, 
a decade or so waiting to see exactly what would happen and when she'd return to the fold if ever and you know finally had enough killed her and then he just forgot about her you know <laughs> uh, i did this i punished that person you know she's punished to feel all this grief of everyone who's ever existed um i've done my job as a justice god i'm the god of justice not the god of death because that's how nagash thinks about himself a lot um <laughs> and off he went <laughs> to do other things and hundreds of years later he's going oh god there's all these ghosts around and i need a leader uh i'll just look around for a really really strong ghost and see if they're suitable is like wait who's that isn't that isn't that what used to be called delorum why why are there all these undead living there who's that sitting on the- she's isn't that the woman I killed for trying to rule that place forever? And now she's actually just ruling it as a ghost. You know what? <laughs> she, she, yeah, she's, 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 she's pers- yeah, she's persistent. I'll give her that. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, and effectively, you know, made her a water, gave him a little sliver of his divine power, kind of almost in the way that Stormcast are made. You know, there's a little bit of yeah. Sigma in every Stormcast. Well, there's a little bit of Nagash. In every undead, actually, but there's a little bit more Nagash in every Mortark. Um, and she became the, the leading force of the Nighthorn. She is this very effective commander, mostly because around her mortals can't be effective commanders because she radiates misery, you know? Um, she basically... <laughs> oh, God. I mean... You destroy some people like that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but she radiates it really badly, though, like to the degree where more people run away in game she, and she does a bunch of mortal wounds, okay? It's real yeah, bad the misery. <laughs> the world's worst speed data. <laughs> I mean, hey, she got married in the end. It's fine. Um, <laughs> That's true. Yeah, uh, so she sort of, you know, ch- just by being there, she'll change the presence of the battlefield. You know, people are more likely to run away. Uh, commanders are stricken with fear and can't give orders as easily, things like that. And if someone does stand up to her, she slowly lifts the veil and no one knows what's under there because no one's looked at it and lived, which is a pretty impressive claim. Um, Yeah, and she is the de facto leader of the Nighthorn as a whole. Uh, That's Lady Ollander. (laughs) Excellent. Now she... See, it's funny because I remember when we first saw little snippets about her, Mm. it was one of those where when we... I think we read the write-up about her, it sounded like, Mm. oh, she's not actually that... In, it was interesting as she could be, but I think, like I mm. said, now since they've released the Battle Tome, she's actually oh, yeah. far more interesting. There's than, all this great information about her. She's really cool. I really like her. <laughs> nice. Nice. Right. Let's go back to the Stormcast. Right. Let's talk about a new character. Let's talk about Aventus Firestrike. Really cool mm-hmm. name. Sounds like a, uh, th- a sort of uh, a online handle you would use when you're younger. <laughs> what sounds really cool? <laughs> Aventus Firestrike. So let's go back many years. So you've got the, back in the day, you've got the Wizard Order of Agloraxix, which is basically this, this, like I said, this wizardly order that, as they do, they end up getting attacked by demons because that's what demons mm. do. So in retaliation, they, uh, they burn these demons with fire magic. So, excellent, but then excellent. in retaliation to that, yeah, sorry, in retaliation <laughs> to that, Corn gets a bit p- pissed off at this, so he takes out his anger using his sort of realm in you know, reality splitting sword and basically takes most mm. of this wizardly order out. But you know, this is you know back in the day, this is when Aventus Firestrike was known as Avanti Fire Sun. So you know, you can see where he got his name from. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And as you would imagine, 
he was, you know, as part of this sort of dying order, he was you know, very pissed off himself. So he ultimately became a, an enemy of Corn, and he was fighting, you know, basically using his sword and his brains because he realized that he couldn't take mm. on Corn and his followers just with uh, sword alone. So basically, because of this, he was quite feared by Corn's reavers and basically became known as the Fire Soul as part of this. So, you know, to, to you know, to really anger avante at this time that uh, they basically tore down his home and city because yeah you know, that, mm. that can get to people i've heard so they, they tear down his home and city and as he rushes back you know he, he thinks right i need to do something now this is getting you know getting beyond mm. a joke these corn reavers are really doing my head in so basically he he takes this um spherical realm stone which is known as the ever burning coal Nice. And basically nice. consume yeah nice 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 name no. <laughs> so basically he he ends up consuming it in a manner of speaking i mean the details are a bit um a bit sparse but yeah he, he yeah he he absorbed the this uh, particular realm stone and basically he came back to human form because he you know he at first stage he was in a an in you know an unhuman form so basically mm. he passes out and then when he wakes up the next day he becomes, I suppose, like a, a very powerful fire mage of some sort. He's, you know, he's nice. surrounded by fire, but he can't get burnt by it. And then he's got this real big pain in his chest. Um, you know, because mm. before he's had a pain in his ass, which is the corn <laughs> reavers. Now he's got a pain in his chest. And <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and um, this, pain, this pain in the chest basically realizes he can harness the pain and basically turn it into powerful fire so you know using this you know he's taking out corn's reavers you know Mm. taking them putting them to cinders but you know as we all know with a lot of these heroes they end up falling so basically you know he ends up getting jumped and basically taken out but you know but before all this happens obviously sigmar as he's been looking upon high realizes that you know this guy's got potential so you know, reforges him, brings him back, brings him back as a Lord Arcanum, and now becomes Aventus Firestrike, with a mm. really cool name. So now he is basically what's called the, the Magistar of Hammerhull, and mm-hmm, he's mm-hmm. bonded with a his mythical creature, which is the, the Toralon <coughs> by the name of Lothar. And uh, yeah, nice. basically he is now kicking ass and taking names for Sigmar yet again. Mm. And yeah, he's quite a, quite a really yeah. cool character. So... Yeah, have you got any any more Nighthawk characters for us? Well, there are indeed some more. Um, so, Excellent. I did mention that Lady Olinda was actually married at some point. Uh, that's because Nagash uh, is apparently the world's best um, Cupid, as well as the God of Death. He is um, known for that, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one of his biggest traits. You know, he just found the perfect partner for her, um, which is Kurdos Valentian, the Craven King. Um, ah. Now, this guy... I'm just also going to put this out of the way. His model is so goddamn cool. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> this this is the guy on the floating throne with the big two handed mace for a scepter. Um, he looks so cool. He's awesome. Um, so Kurtos Valentian, uh, similar to Lady Olinda, is a mortal who Nagash decided to punish for being a bad person. Interestingly enough, um, so Kurtos was this person who had this massive desire to rule. He wanted to be king effectively, and no one would get in his way. He assassinated allies, he betrayed entire armies, and he murdered both of his brothers uh, to get where he was. And at the moment... uh, Actually, the really interesting thing, because 
At the moment he was about to be crowned king, Nagash intervened and struck him dead and took his soul. Nagash didn't do that because of all the betrayal. Nagash did that because Kurdos was a Sigmar worshipper and not a Nagash worshipper. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, I found that really interesting because you never seem to have in a lot of in a lot of both Warhammer Fantasy and Age of Sigmar lore, you never seem to have a Sigmar worshipper who's just a complete asshole like that. An evil no, you, no, that's a fair point. Person. Actually, yeah. Um, but no, he was a devout Sigmarite, and um, he got he got sm- he got smote by Nakash for that. Um, <laughs> you know, and he came back as a ghost, and Nagash ignored him for a bit, and then Nagash started paying attention again because, you know, he killed him because he was a Sigmar worshiper, but also because you know pride and betrayal are bad things to do in Nagash's eyes. And True. even as a ghost, this guy is still trying to claw his way up the ladder. You know, he's wheeling and dealing and betraying and everything. And he's about to take over this whole nation in the underworld. So rule rule over a nation of ghosts. And Nagash is like, mm, no, no, I didn't actually curse you like that other one. So we're going to, we're going to switch that up right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So basically, uh, you know. And also, you know, if you steal a nation in the underworld, that's straight up stealing, like, rulership yeah. from Nagash. So, no, no, no. Big no, no. So, Nagash just taps him with his staff and bestows upon him this massive amount of strength, but also a curse, because Nagash loves curses. Um, he loves them. <laughs> so, he's become immensely strong in battle, and, like, on the tabletop, he's scary. In melee, he's ridiculous. But, um, he is massively strong, but he can never rule. Uh, he has been bound in eternity till death do them part. They're both already dead to Lady Ollander. Um, and she will always be in charge and he will never be a ruler. You know, he will never have any authority at all. He is just her strong arm, effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a really, really cruel and ironic punishment, which I love. Um, but the, it gets better because all the stuff he's carrying and wearing and his two followers are there to remind him of you know, just what his ambition has cost him. He sits on the throne um, that he was aiming for in life. He carries a scepter, um, the sepulchral scepter, which was a sign of rulership in the underworld. He wears this crown, and two of the last people he murdered, um, which I think the text is implying are his brothers, are his heralds, one with a trumpet, one with a banner, and they follow him around everywhere, espousing all his great deeds and calling him all his great titles, you know... The way they espoused the way he stabbed them in the back before telling them that he wanted the throne. They espoused the way he betrayed that entire army to get a small amount of political influence. They call him the usurper, the false lord, the craven king. They're making, they're, they're his banner bearers, his sort of announcers, and they're going around just going, this is that asshole. Remember him? <laughs> he's the worst person <laughs> ever and he's not in charge anymore because Nagash is better than him, um, effectively. Um, uh, and the worst part of the curse is, when he was alive, he had a sort of this pride in his ability to give booming orders. He had a very influential voice as well as, you know, the mm-hmm. the mind to climb up this political ladder. Uh, whenever he says to, when he, whenever he attempts to say anything except for tactical advice that he's learned over the centuries, he can't actually speak. The words turn to literal dust in his mouth. <laughs> How unfortunate. Yeah. So all he can say is he can't give the order of, charge he has to turn to the actual commander of the night hall army and go my experience dictates we should charge he can't ever give <laughs> the actual order um <laughs> oh no that's frustrating yeah. 
But um, he's so bitter about this that enemy commanders sort of find their own orders fail in their own mouths because as soon as they look like they're about to say something that's an order, he just looks at them and is like, they go, oh, maybe I shouldn't say that. <laughs> that, <laughs> curse, that curse kind of extends past himself. And that actually shows up as an interesting tabletop mechanic. Uh, whenever your enemy gains a command point, you roll a dice on a five up, they lose that command point and you get it because their general Ooh. couldn't give the order because of Curse's really sort cool. of withering yeah. stare. Yeah. Um, and so he's a must-have in a lot of armies because he's a melee beat stick and he steals command points, which is so good. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, he's just one of these really flavorful things and a really, another really good example of Nagash loving that ironic punishment for perceived, you know, crimes or evils. Excellent. Mm. He sounds very cool indeed. He's super cool. <laughs> I love all these, I love all these cool ghosts. They're so good. Um. <laughs> right. Okay. Let's talk about another Stormcast uh, new character, a new lady. Mm-hmm. Now she mm-hmm. is known as Astria Solbright. Now yeah. she back in the day was originally from the Great Highish Vista. Now, basically, mm-hmm. this is on what's called the... She was basically a supplicant of the Great Lens. So you've got this basically on top of what's known as the Pillar of Truths, which is a really mm. cool... <laughs> Welcome to the Pillar of Truths. Pillar Truth. of Truths. <laughs> so on the Pillar of Truths, you, um, <laughs> you've got this massive Great Lens, um, which at once upon a time was used in the defense against chaos obviously because chaos were doing what they do up to mischief so but these this lens could be used to take out mutated drakes and things like that like so this was not you know not some only little lens it's not not part of a you know pair of spectacles or something so she like i said as part of her role up there she was you know would do menial jobs like cleaning it and uh, looking after it and maintain it things like that and throughout this you know battle with chaos which is back in the age of chaos unfortunately she got knocked off this you know and we're talking a, an area that's you know you can't even see the bottom at the top of this so she gets knocked off unfortunately for her but the one thing is she doesn't hit the bottom because before she gets hit you know hit sorry before she even hits the bottom sigmar mm. catches her and, and says right you're joining the Stormcast, please. I've got you've got some potential there. So, so now she's another name for her is Lady Arcane. She's known as the the leader of the Shimmer Souls. Uh, mm-hmm. The Shimmer Souls basically is the sacrosanct chamber of the Hammers of Sigmar. You know the the most predominant of all the uh, Storm hosts, and she has a lot of dealings with vampires, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Now, sort of just describe her a bit more. Um, Due to she's been reforged, well, according to this, she's been reforged at least twice. And after her last reforging, uh, she basically wears a halo of electrical energy, not a, not of her choice. It's mm. just a, a byproduct of what's happened in the reforging <laughs> process. But basically, her hair stands on end, and she, like I said, she's got this, like I said, this sort of halo above her head, which is, yeah, really sort of bizarre, quite bizarre. Um, she's got her own. Uh, celestial beast which is a celestial dracoline mm-hmm. uh kazra and obviously as always they you know got a very yeah. strong bond like they do with their with their beasts now 
basically similar to when we were talking i was talking about fire strike uh she is now a lord arcanum um and basically mm-hmm. she was quite one of the sort of ones of the forefront in the sense that she was which i'll mention when i cover one of the other units uh shortly she was one mm-hmm. of the first to sort of bottle energy to be used basically as a grenade of sort of sorts so yeah. you know she she's very focused on in this side of things and obviously because she's part of the sacrosanct chamber she's very very focused on like what i said earlier where she's trying to find mm. the the flaw in the in the process which like i said to you, to you a second ago is she it means she come into dealings with vampires and because of you know her being the leader of the shimmer souls uh she's had to deal with many different types of vampires um she's had she's either slain or banished the the red brides of van uh Carthus, the the leash of fendreg um dread i should say the the lord vampire of uh Drakepetia and the unliving monks of drostos varn among them oh, and man. basically they sound cool i want to know about yes them. there's <laughs> yes there's some really i said unfortunately i haven't got any more than that but that's that's basically <laughs> some of the vampires that her and the shimmer souls have have taken down you know ultimately mm. her sort of focus at, the, at this sort of point is she's trying to find a creature that when it dies, not only comes back, but but actually comes back stronger than it was before. And mm. she's basically realised there's only one being that that's, fits that description, and that's our boy Nagash. So ah. she's making mm. a beeline for him at the moment. So yeah, <laughs> I'm sure that'll go we- very well for her. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So yeah, now she's she is a very cool character, dear. So, you know, as well, she's a mm. a vampire hunting lady that uh, is yeah, uh, after Nagash awesome. is her next target. So yeah, yeah. so that's the I, that's the second of the new Stormcast characters. I had no idea she was a vampire hunter. That's really sweet. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> mm. All right, um there's one more Nighthorn special character. He's Rikenor the Grim Healer. Uh you will know him from the world's coolest looking easy to build kit that's ever existed. Um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's so cool. Um he is also actually from Heish uh, which is cool. He used to be a sorcerer king who, you know, was searching for a magical way to find immortality. Um, and, you know, he got a lot of followers and a lot of acolytes and gained a lot of interest in the general populace of Haish. And then Nagash noticed this and went, no, no, mate, listen, I'm the god of death. You're trying to work out a way to stop people from dying. That's not on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> people have got to die. <laughs> yeah. Now, it doesn't explicitly say that Nagash killed this guy. With Kurdos and Olander, he said, it said specifically, you know, Nagash took their souls at a particular moment. This just said he drew Nagash's ire, so it's possible that Nagash decided for the ironic punishment here initially, which was Nagash didn't outright kill him and just waited for his research to fail and for him to die <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I could see Nagash doing that. Oh, yeah. Um, but now, Raikonor is basically his, um, mage hunter. He doesn't look for the secrets of how to defeat death anymore, now he looks for people who do the same thing he did in life. Ah. Uh, he's, he's looking for, you know, necromancers that don't actually follow Nagash, but are just trying to gain immortality through the magic of necromancy, things like that. Uh, and he flies around on a really cool nightmare. Uh, it also has a name, all these named steeds. Uh, this is Ki- Killeron, uh, with Killeron. a Y. Yeah, nice. Uh, it's badass really thing. cool, badass flaming ghost uh, nightmare Pegasus thing. Um, and a, a big thing in his rules is um, something called a corpse candle. Uh, there are all these burning candles stuck all over him. Uh, these are actually made out of tallow rendered down from his old students. 
Um, (laughs) Yeah, I know, it's real bad. Um, (laughs) And every time he snuffs out one of the flames, he can either direct that to kill someone close by or to steal away a little bit of his own essence. And either way, it lifts his own magic up because he's still quite a powerful sorcerer. Uh, and in particular, he invented a unique spell called a Wraith Storm uh, that inspires spirits that have just left bodies but haven't been pulled to Shaish yet to rise up for a moment and attack the nearest thing. So, you oh. know, he'll throw it out at a, u- at a unit of um, free guild who've been damaged by some ghosts, maybe, and the ghosts of their comrades who died just a minute or two ago will suddenly rise up for just a second and claw and hack at them before being pulled back to Shaish. Um <laughs> Yeah, and it's sort of like uh, getting getting a Ford payment, because eventually those guys will come Nighthorn anyway, but might as well use a spell to get them to fight right now, just for a second. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And, you know, uh, before the Necroquake, he usually hunted by himself all over the Mortal Realms. He would fly around on this Pegasus, seek out necromancers, and seek out wizards from Haish, especially, that were attempting to overcome death. But now that the uh, Necroquake has happened and the Nighthorn legions have arisen, he is directly under the... Um, under the orders of Lady Olander, and often, you know, is set up with his own procession to lead and guide on specific missions. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and that's him. He's got a little less backstory than the other two, but he's still very cool. He is Um, such an amazing-looking model as well. I know. I absolutely love his model. (laughs) I just just love his face. His face Mm, (laughs) looks amazing. That cool metal mask. Yeah. I mean, metal masks are always going to... Float oh, my yeah. boat. That's just Absolutely. and like I said, his undead Pegasus looking creatures. Yeah, <laughs> badass. Mm. Excellent. Right. So that's all the new special characters, characters. that have. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Right. <laughs> let's go down. So, right. So for the Stormcast, let's talk about the Lord Arcanums. So mm-hmm. these are now basically the the leaders of the Sacrosanct Chambers, as you would imagine, and like the rest of the chamber, they obviously were huge magic users back in the day against Chaos when they were immortals. But obviously, they were predominantly a stronger type of magical character back in those days, as you would imagine. That's why they're now the leaders. Mm. Um, they their sort of main thing is casting lightning, uh, which they do very very easily using their staff. They Basically, what these actual strikes that they bring down from the sky are thought to be what they call prime electrids, which are basically what they call mm. the, the the offshoots of the great bolts. Now, basically, the great bolts are the light the the, the lightning that Sigmar uses to like level castles and kill <laughs> god beasts and stuff. So you know, yeah. so you, you understand yeah. the sort of power. You know, they they're getting a bit off. They're getting the offshoot of that. So. But it being an offshoot, it's damn powerful as well. So, you know, the lightning they're bringing down, they are properly bringing it down. So and another thing that they're able to do, which I was a bit sceptical about, is that basically mm. they can, they can similar to what you were just saying a second ago, is that they can capture the souls of the Stormcast before they leave for the heavens and basically restore mm. them to the body. So that bit, just when the, you know, the Stormcast dies, and obviously traditionally, You'd see their, you know, their soul beaming up to Azir again to be reforged later. He, mm. or he, or or she, um, can basically bring them back and sort of put them back in their bodies, and I so mm. they can almost resurrect them. I don't know if that's a temporary thing. I don't know if it's until they, or it's a, you know, just as as, as yeah. if they didn't die. It doesn't really sort of say about that. I was a, I don't know. I'm not sold on that. If I'm being honest, mm. that it feels like it's almost devaluing the reforging process because they go yeah. back. I, d- I don't know. Don't know. I, I feel it might be temporary. 
Like, I, yeah. I, I, I like the idea of doing that, just jamming the soul back in the body, but they're still <laughs> yeah. really badly injured. So, you yeah. know, um, there's a, you know, they're not going to hold together for much longer, but they might last for the rest of the battle. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. When I, it's yeah. safer for them to actually yeah. be reforged. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, and it, it sounds very similar to the Night Haunt version that you were just, you mm. know, talking about a second ago, yeah. really. So, yeah, no, that's fair enough. Just, just for a moment. <laughs> just long yeah, enough yeah we'll leave it that like i said we don't know but that's well yeah i think that's probably more realistic um so yeah they ride uh celestial beast in battle you've got like the griff charges uh which are basically mm. they're they're particularly drawn to wielders of lightning such as the lords um mm. and as, as you imagine like all the other beasts it's man and beast are one together as a you know a good tag team they uh and with these griff charges they basically in mm. essence ride the lightning because they can use the power of the lightning to use the etheric winds to move so they can be in one place and all of a sudden they're in another and mm. that sort of uh, and also they can use that to buff other riders as well so they can be as a force as well mm. so um there another task of the uh, lord arcanums is that they're often used to track rogue souls that escape the sigma abulum i love this name sigma abulum which is oh, basically abulum yeah, Sigma. Yeah, Sigma. Sigma Arbulum is how yeah. I always said it. But yeah, yeah. Sigma. Yeah, it's, it is. Just an- name it. Just name it. The place where you do the thing. God damn it, yeah. Sigma! Stop slapping your name on everything. I know. It's just any excuse. <laughs> basically, this particular area that because uh, it gets mentioned a few times. It basically it's where it's up up in the higher parts of uh, of Azir, mm. and it's basically a combination of like palaces and and things like that. So yeah, it's you know it's where it's, it's where stuff goes down basically, <laughs> and it's it's where the the anvil of the apotheosis is as well so so yeah mm. so they, they will track down these rogue souls because as part again a part of the reforging sometimes the souls will escape and obviously they that will cause a disaster if they can because they can they're still very powerful and and like i say can be rogue so they'll use literally mm. the lord of khan and will use the you know the griff charges and things like that to, to literally rush in the air and uh, <laughs> and pick it out of the sky which is really cool uh, also, they can uh, the the regeneration powers of the griff charges can be also used by the Lord Carnum to buff mm. and heal nearby Stormcast, which is really cool as well. Um, <laughs> you've got uh, if you're a particularly quite a Larry and quite out there <laughs> Lord Arcanum, <laughs> you can uh, r- choose to ride a Celestial Dracoline, which is yep, a sort of yep. cool sort of dragon, sort of feline-ish sort of yeah, yeah. beast. Because um, basically, that when I say <laughs> they've got to be a bit of more of a Larry sort of out there type uh, Lord Arcanum, is that the the dracoline that they 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 respect power mm. so they're they're yeah. not an easily tamed sort of beast so again they, you know you've got you got to have a bit of uh, you know a bit of something about you to get their respect basically um so like i said these these particular beasts they they hunt in the the azurite mountains they sharpen their claws on uh, celestium mm. which is like a sort of form of uh, realmstone the um okay they they basically and through and through because they sharpen their claws on this particular uh, material it basically as well as obviously sharpening their claws it also creates electrical blasts when they pounce mm-hmm. as well so it's literally right. storing up all this energy in their claws which is really cool so they can just sort of jump mm-hmm. and jump and electrocute imagine if your cat could do that Cameron. oh cool. god imagine the, the i mean hell she doesn't jump happen. that much but it'd be bad when she did <laughs> <laughs> very true <laughs> and uh the lord arcanums um can also like i said be you know they're, they're all about buffing as well as and that which is quite a common theme 
with the the sacrosanct mm. chamber as a whole. They're, they're very much a support uh, chamber as well, particularly so they can buff other riders, and obviously which can cause more damage. Um, some uh, will bond with another type of creature, which is the the tour along, which these like winged mm. predators of the ether basically uh these lord arcanums are, are basically are so powerful that they you know they can basically project <laughs> sorry project themselves between between sorry between realms okay. basically which is the ether yeah. you know they're like i said this this is where like you know they sort of almost go up in up in levels so mm. you know this particular mm. lord arcanum like i say if they're in with revolt you know sort of bonding with a toralon they're a very powerful one indeed, and and basically the Toralon as a as a beast, they hang around up up in his ear as well. They're playing. It's funny because it, it describes that they're playing games of like sh- what I would call shooting star tennis. So you imagine that sort of like they're shooting stars and comets and meteors all sort of up there, and they're and they're sort of pinging them and changing direction. Mm. And then what in then turn happens is that these particular Lord Arcanums that want to you know, to have them as their as their ride will basically fire it back at them as well, and and then in turn earns their respect. It's a it's a really mm. cool, cool, interesting bonding process that they go through. Mm. And as you imagine, the bond between man and beast gets stronger. You know, with the more they go to war. But you know, the Toralon particularly, they're very nimble um, despite their size, but they're very capable uh beasts as well for example they can mm. ram with their horns um but they choose not to because they'd rather be sort of nimble you know and sort of darting around um but not all lord arcanums will use mounts uh some will go un- unmounted because basically mm-hmm. so their sort of justification for it is they can focus on their magic so rather than you know yeah. putting a bit of time to magic and a bit of time to you know their beast they can be you know fully at one with the magic so mm-hmm. basically these particular ones can use their voices to manipulate control the endless magic that we've seen and so some examples of the endless magic these like we've got the the die arcanum which is basically this whirling disc of cogs um mm-hmm. which basically repels the gravity of the realm spheres and it, it basically becomes like a similar to the um discs that you see the 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 cinch sorcerers yeah, <laughs> ride if yeah. they want it's a, a form of travel the land um, you've got this uh, celestian vortex um, which starts off with throwing two hammers in the air and then they slowly start rotating around each other and then it becomes basically <laughs> a maelstrom of hammers <laughs> basically oh boy. so it sounds like it should be out of like a looney tunes cartoon or something oh yeah um, absolutely <laughs> and uh, another the last example of endless magic that they sometimes use is the the everblaze comet which is basically like a fireball from space um and, and it's sort of twofold really because obviously it will destroy enemies because it will literally throw it at the enemies but then it has magical repercussions because obviously it, it lights up the earth and sort of basically causes this sort of area of effect damage that mm. you would see as well so um yeah they're very cool leaders indeed they got yeah. quite a few tricks up their sleeve so yeah over awesome. to you cameron yeah, uh, well, I'm going to talk about Spirit Torments and Chain Ghasts, because they kind of go hand in hand, or shackle in shackle, in this case, really. <laughs> <laughs> so, Spirit Torments are lords of the Great Oubliette of Shaiish, which is a continent-sized underworld dungeon, basically. Um, and these are the guys that run it, so... <laughs> it bas- it's basically Australia, actually, now I think about it. You know, everyone's <laughs> Everyone's a criminal in here. It's just cold instead of hot. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, yeah. Uh, Spirit Torments, also known as Shacklegeists, are 
presumably because they're covered in cages and chains and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, they are, they are sort of vitally important to the night haunt, uh, <laughs> way of, um, combat because their job is to catch souls, uh, for Nagash. They've got those big heavy chains made out of, uh, something called malefic iron. Uh, and you know, there's, there are rituals done all over them. They are these, ice cold enchanted ch- uh jail chains basically if they can touch an escaping spirit with the chain it'll be sucked into a padlock at the end of it and trapped there nice uh and they can't escape unless the padlock is reopened but that usually only happens when the night haunts return to shaish and if the padlock's opened in shaish with the vortex in the middle of it now uh the souls are of course immediately drawn there um so they are very important they go out with the night haunt legions they grab as many souls as possible and bring them back to Nagash, you know, directly for t- not quite. I was going to say reforging, but it's not because they're not stormcast. Um, re- re- night <laughs> yeah. haunting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, depending on what the uh, what the particular spirit did, several things might happen to it. You know, most of them are just turned into things like chain rasps and other lesser night haunts, spirit hosts, that kind of things. Uh, but some are instead trapped in a pocket of unreality linked to a certain place in the Great Oubliette. Uh, so some of them are just trapped, uh, perhaps for future experimentation or until Nagash decides exactly what to do with them. It's not exactly certain. And a mm-hmm. very few are reserved for exquisite miseries dreamed up by the ever vengeful Mortax or even Nagash himself. <laughs> so the ones that have, that have been deemed particularly offensive go off to be tortured by the leaders of death. Of the death faction, basically, you know, you gotta Lucky have them. something. Yeah, you've gotta have something to do in your downtime. You know, um. <laughs> <laughs> of all the things, you could play tennis, but no, they just that's no, what they gotta do with themselves. Yeah, clearly, <laughs> well, well, yeah, um, and you know, obviously, spirit torments could just float around and grab any souls just hanging in the air, but they're night haunts and so they're cruel twisted things and so they much prefer to be the agent of separation of soul from body um so they basically take the fact that their job requires them to have these big heavy chains with padlocks on one end and goes and go you know these are actually quite good bludgeons um and lay into the fighting themselves sort of bludgeoning around with chains and heavy padlocks on the end and they love their work you know they have a lot of fun um, but their favorite thing to do is they look, they love looking through the keyholes of their padlocks to look at all the souls inside. Um, and then when they're looking in, they see all the souls in there that, you know, they jiggle it a little bit. Oh, chinka, 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 chink. Um, and then they take this great breath and howl, robbing all of the imprisoned spirits of their hope. Um, and that's their favorite thing to do. <laughs> they're, they're not very nice ghosts. <laughs> None of them are. <laughs> I know, but th- these are particularly aw- awful, you know. Oh, you know, I just bludgeoned you to death, and then I trapped your soul inside this padlock, and now I'm looking through the keyhole, shaking it, and then just screaming at you until you lose all hope and sanity. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, uh, there are a few notable spirit torments. Um, Carceris, the Black-Hearted, was a jailer for a Chaos tribe, um, and he was sort of legendary for his misdeeds, but... Right before he was about to die, he tried to repent for his sins and start doing better things. And Nagash went no and turned him into a spirit torment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and made him the overseer of um, a place called the Cryptopolis, which is the largest dungeon in Nagashazar, which is an awesome name. 
the Cryptopolis. <laughs> um, there's Morcrasp from Melandrex Procession, who actually shows up in the Soul Wars novel, and there's the Rust Haunt of the Crimson Procession are also some more well-known uh, spirit torments. But hand-in-hand hand with spirit torments are, of course, Chain Ghasts. Um, and no, not Chain Rasps. I know they sound similar. These are the bigger ones with the heavy, <laughs> heavy chains with uh, big chunks of... Iron on the end, not the little easy to build ones. Um, <laughs> so, uh, chain chain ghasts are the ghosts of people who were captives when they were alive. Um, they didn't necessarily die in chains, but whenever they were chained up, they prayed for release and they prayed to every god they could think of, but they didn't pray to Nagash. Oh, he always gets to go on. Yeah, and you know he doesn't like that, and so. He- <laughs> It it said it specifically says he doesn't do the thing he usually seems to do where he turns up and kills them for their insolence. No, he makes a note. <laughs> he like notes down that they didn't <laughs> pray to him. <laughs> he gets his iPad out and then it pops it in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what is it? However, those condemned that called out for godly intervention but did not n- include Nagash in their supplications are noted, and grim plans are made for the ultimate fate of these unfortunate <laughs> souls. <laughs> I just love the that idea. Is such a- that's such so a Nagash good. thing to do. He's so petty. He's so he petty. really is. <laughs> Fine, you forgot about me. Mm. We'll see who's going to have the last laugh. <laughs> you know, and you know, he he's very petty about this, and he's very angry that they didn't pray to him because he would have released them. He would have just killed them. They would have been free. You know, all of Nagash is all all the one in Nagash. We are free to be me. Um, <laughs> and so he designed these special cages to keep them permanently imprisoned, even as ghosts. Um, which are these sort of presumably hidden under their cloaks is this sort of steel cage that locks the spirit in place. But to weigh them down even further, um, he's ordered these chain flails made of black iron, which is a cursed metal that can sort of absorb the negative emotions around it. You know, it's filled with fear and hopelessness of the enslaved. And when they swing them fast enough, they actually start swinging bolts of magical energy powered by misery. (laughs) (laughs) It's always misery. I know. Um, And that's actually really cool because they're one of death's only shooting units. And it's actually quite a good Mm. shooting attack. Um, It's quite good. I'm very happy that it exists. Um, And (laughs) their their job is essentially uh, to go out cause absolute havoc because they can fling these bolts of magical misery they swing around wildly with these chains and weights and they they're there to make a rich harvest of souls for the spirit torment they work in tandem with the spirit torment Mm -hmm. um and you know they wear these metal masks that are lot sort of locked on but behind the mask they have these dim memories of their mortal past they have this always have this yearning to be free but while they want to be free, they don't have anything regarding free will. Like, a lot of the Nighthorn leader units, you know, the, the the ghosts that are higher up in the hierarchy do have free will. Yep. Chain ghosts are just a little too low for that. So while they have the desire to be free, they have actually no free will. They <laughs> oh, have to follow... <laughs> They have to follow the exact <laughs> orders of the spirit torment. Yeah. Uh, and they're trapped into the, they're, even in their minds, they're trapped in this never ending loop of thoughts of, I want to be free, obey the master. I want to be free, obey the master. So they're bound in a prison, even in their mm. own brain. Um, that is harsh. Mind. They don't have a brain. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's spirit torments and chain ghosts. Nice. <laughs> well, I'm going to pair two of mine up, I think. Um, mm, so I'm going to talk it. about the, the, uh, the knight and cantors and the lord exorcist. So let's start with nice. the knight and cantors. So 
basically, in essence, they are a, a storm caller that uses the winds of energy to smite their foes. They they do like a good a bit, of, good amount of smiting. So, mm. uh, so it, you know, in the in the sacrosanct sort of hierarchy, they're sort of just one down from the Lord Arcanum. They're sort of the you know the the, the second in charge and will basically lead in the place in place of a Lord Arcanum if it's not appropriate for them or they're not available, for example. So they're they have these what they call their rod you know their rods of office they use those to channel energy you know they are they've got imbued uh, scrolls with void magic uh, they've mm-hmm. got artifacts that can dispel magic um but, but they're sort of their most sort of prevalent weapon is their voice because they can use their voice to raise a storm right hence storm nice. caller so yeah, yeah. so basically they're they're present at the anvil of the apotheosis they're sort of performing chants they're sing they're singing in in essence mm. uh which sort of ebbs and flows and it's really cool that they basically use their voices and their singing and chanting to basically reorientate the souls going through the process. So they're sort of, to, you know, to keep mm. it under control, basically. So you can imagine, like, you know, the souls going through the process and it's going up and down and sort of, you know, and just, yeah, just keeping control of it. And it's really, it's really sort of quite a cool thought. Um, basically, they use their voice uh, to draw in celestial power and can basically unleash it in a storm of lightning. Or they can also use it as freezing hail as well, which is quite random as well. So, but what's really cool that they can sing, which basically draws in all this spiritual energy, mm. and then they can put it into a flask, and it became basically becomes a storm spirit grenade, which basically they can throw in battle, and it unleashes this storm spirit. But the, the sort of the slight snag with it is it will literally take out allies and enemies mm. at the same time similar yeah. to a normal grenade if you throw it in the wrong place but i just well, love yeah, the fact sure. <laughs> i just love the fact that they've like say created these 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 grenades it sounds amazing well they're they're flasks of energy but in essence they're a, a grenade of sorts so um yeah so that's the the uh, the knight in cantors um the lord exorcist uh clues in the title for this one that mm. basically they use the light of order to banish demons and geists um and it's even to the point that the power that these Lord Exorcists hold, that even Agash is taking note of them. You know, in his notebook that we were just talking about, mm, he's yeah, there writing yeah. down like, must <laughs> be wary of Lord Exorcists. Right, okay. So they're written down. Um, so basically they they would have been discovered as part of, you know, what Sigmar does. He, he basically discovered them as former holy men. Um, so back in their mortal mm. lives, they were performing rituals, fighting chaos, the usual that, that you would expect. And basically since the reforging process, just like all Stormcast, their power is, in, is you know significantly increased, but basically they can use this power now to, and the power of their sort of ceremonial staves into the ground. So basically they'll smash it into the ground and basically mm. that will in turn will banish uh, you know anything appropriate like like i said like a demon or a, a geist of some sort um another thing that that they predominantly do which is quite interesting is they basically look over the battlefield for enemy souls so what they're trying to do and then they um doing this process they're using what they call a redemption stave um yeah. which basically on top of it is a celestium slate so that same material that the mm. those cre- um the beasts use for sharpening their claws this is you know same material so yeah. you've got a slate yeah. on top of it now basically what the lord exodus is doing is by looking for the enemy souls he's basically trying to find a soul to save 
So basically, mm. if he finds a soul, I think, yes, that soul, I'm going to try and save that one, even if it, even if it is one of the enemy. I'm the, basically this sort of this slate with it's got like a ca- a cache on it um, that basically <laughs> opens up, and the soul. It's, just think Ghostbusters, basically. Just yeah, think Ghostbusters. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> drops it down, and basically the soul gets sucked in. And what's really cool now? This is the really cool bit. It gets judged on the spot. So when it goes into this this oh, wow. you know this cache, it gets judged on the spot. And you've got like ectoplasm sort of coming out at the same time. And it's got a scale on it as well. So if the scale drops, the soul mm. is lost, basically. Like, no, you, it's, okay. you cannot, it's too, it's gone, it's too far gone. If the, if the scale rises, the soul is saved uh, for reforging, basically. I just thought that was a really cool thing. That there's, a, I just love the fact it's getting judged right there and then, like, mm, doom, like yeah. the scales just go up <laughs> or down. Awesome. Um, and basically, um, the but the problem is with this process is that it's not working out in the sense that they're not getting much from it. That basically the amount of redeemed souls, i.e., the ones that pass that test, is less in number than all the Lord Exorcists in all the chambers. So they, wow. it's not it's not really you know it's it's working, <laughs> but just they're not getting many souls. It just shows you mm. how bad these other souls are. But I thought <laughs> that is a really cool process. So so yeah, that's the. Knight in Cantor and the Lord Exorcist. So over to you. Nice. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll cover the Guardians of Souls and the Lord Executioners. Um, so these ones are pretty pretty simple. Uh, there was a lot on Spirit Torment, so it was like a two page spread <laughs> just for that. So um, the Guardian of Souls is basically a nexus of undead energy. They in life they were these lesser necromancers who used a lot of death magic, a lot of amethyst magic, but it wasn't enough to keep them alive. Um, and Nagash eventually reclaimed them and shaped them into something a little more useful. Something something a little more pure. <laughs> uh, and, um, you know, now they use their spells not to extend their own life, but to re-summon and restore night haunts. Uh, they carry usually either a big maul or a, or a cold-bladed sword. Um, but they also, their most important piece of gear is they will either carry a nightmare lantern or a mortality glass... And the mortality glass is like an hourglass, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Nightmare Lantern is a beacon <coughs> lit by the flame of Nagashazar, and the light isn't so important. What's really important is the smoke. Uh, instead of drifting up and away like from a normal lantern, uh, the smoke actually is cold and falls down to the ground and drifts down to the battlefield and sort of perks up ghosts, effectively. It invigorates spirits. Um, and you know you can they can channel the lantern smoke so that the so that it basically chases through the earth and beckons spirits out of their graves, or so it can surround their enemies and freeze them to death in this sort of nice. fog cloud. Basically, uh, on the other hand, if they've armed themselves with a mortality glass, they can actually slow down time around their enemies, making them feel like they're trapped in this nightmare. Or distort time around the night haunts nearby, allowing them to move super fast all of a sudden. Um, these guys are really cool, uh, and I can't wait for my store's anniversary to actually be able to pick up the model that's not in the starter kit. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> uh, it's coming. It's like October, I think. Not too far away. Um, <laughs> and Lord Executioners are people who were actual executioners in life, but the thing that their sin, because... Uh, a lot of these ghosts are being punished, um, is that they enjoyed their job too much and killed whoever was put in front of them, even if they knew they were innocent. Um, <laughs> you know, they were just the people who claimed to just be doing their duty 
are also singled out for this job. Um, even if they seek to repent, uh, they are going to be reforged by Nagash into these terrible executioners, especially uh, if they've been slain by the relatives of the people they killed on the executioner's stand. Uh, they are charged by Nagash to slay heroes, champions, kings, and anyone who defies his laws. Uh, they have these massive axe, axes, um, and a lot of them carry accoutrements, uh, depending on what kind of execution they did. Um, for example, the one in the Soul Wars box has a gallows attached to its back, but mm-hmm. this yep. also suggests, uh, suggests things like torture wheels or stretching racks, and I really want to see a Lord Executioner model that's, like, strapped to a giant wheel, but is still somehow wielding the giant axe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and they're also surrounded by, uh, essentially a, a lesser spirit host. It's just a few small spirits, but they're the spirits of the people they murdered. Um, and, you know, these spirits float around them. They harass the Lord Executioner, harangue them all the time, but... They also block swords and spells and uh, dangerous blows. Uh, they don't do this to protect the Lord Executioner so much, but to prolong um, prolong his uh, or his or her torment as a Lord Executioner. Oh, okay. Because, yeah, yeah. you know, they, they were not nice people, but no one wants to be turned into a horrific murder ghost for all eternity. Like, <laughs> it, it's not a nice thing for them. No, it's uh, not my either. wish list, no. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, that's them. Cool. Right. What shall I do? What shall I do? Mm, right, I'll pair some together. I'm going to do the uh, Sectors and the Castigators. So, right. Sectors. Let's see. All right, so this is sort of, you know, the, the new file and rank troops of the mm-hmm. Sacrosanct Chamber, basically. They are sort of semi-mages in a way. They they are a mm-hmm. mage. They're obviously, they're sort of, you know, a bit less powerful than some of the other characters we've mentioned, but ultimately they're still using magical weapons that have, that have been given to them by uh, Sigmar. So basically, traditionally they're armed with uh, a heavy storm smite maul and a broad soul shield as well, which is really cool. Um, basically, sort of their their main sort of thing is that they buff their weapons. Like again, like I said, mm. they're a support chamber, so they buff their weapons and shields with etheric power, basically, so they can switch from basically from attack and to def- and to defense as well. So basically, when they when they're buffed, they turn blue, and it's basically mm. the rush of the storm inside them. And so they're so they're from their uh, sort of buff point of view, their soul shields can you know turn away blows mm. that they wouldn't be able to turn away before. Um, they're more can like stun them but it can basically stun the minds of their enemy which is really cool they mm. sort of smash it into them and then they just go <laughs> and, 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 and stun them <coughs> excuse me um in some in some cases uh some certain of the troops are basically armed with what they call storm smite great maces as you imagine they're mm-hmm, basically the mm-hmm. sort of the powerful two-handed version of the of the normal yep, version yep. um and basically these have been these particular weapons have inherited the power of um of um of uh, Galmaraz, basically. So, ba- so what what's happened is that they're they're put by Galmaraz for a day and night. So, by Sigmar's you know huge hammer, mm. and literally yeah. just they're just there absorbing the energy for this whole day and whole night. Is you know, and and the difference is particularly with these compared to the normal malls is that these can basically mm. blow their enemies to cinders. They <laughs> they they're so imbued with power. They're like literally mini yeah. Galmarazes. Yeah. They're just you know, this. It's yeah. They're just super super powerful. And ultimately, again, sim as as a common theme that basically these weapons have been created to basically 
blast geists and demons away forever so so you know so these are these so these weapons are you know a multi-use but you can still use them against normal enemies you know if you're fighting an, an, an orc or something like mm. that you know you still be able to bash <laughs> their head in but these particularly work against geists and demons because literally they yeah. will stop them coming back permanently you know so they're very very powerful weapons these particularly great maces um so yeah so that's the sequitors uh the uh, castigators uh these are basically the 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 long-range troops of the sacrosanct um again with their main purpose to take on ethereal enemies such as the night haunt um mm. see why they paired them together <laughs> um oh yeah <coughs> oh yeah <laughs> so basically they sort of you know through obvious means they they sort of realized that normal long-range troops just just don't work against the undead you know you've got yeah arrows yeah. arrows going through them and stuff it's like hang on this isn't gonna work so <laughs> The, the castigators basically use what's called thunderhead great bows, which is a really awesome name. <laughs> and these are basically, I suppose, in a way, are seen as like a marvel of science. It's basically this bulky crossbow, and you've got the 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 base of the projectile head. So like, I've got like a like a mace like tip, and basically this particular tip is a flask full of storm breath that which is taken from the star drakes of the extremist chambers. So basically, these mm-hmm. these star drakes are basically you know, blowing their storm breath into the, you know, collecting it into a flask and then putting it at the top of a, of an arrow, basically. Yeah. It sounds yeah. really, really cool. So to, to actually get to these flat, you know, these flasks at the end of their, of their bolts, a, a ritual is performed to gain this. So they basically go visit the, the star drakes which are in highest ear. They breathe into the thunderhead maces in this sort of 12 pointed star sort of combination mm. and then basically once that's done the castigators link their spirit to the weapon as well um to, yeah you know as you imagine because i mean the, the more in tune with the weapon the more damage they will do so they can mm. sort of shoot with such force on normal enemies you know they will still take them out but against like the ethereal enemies like you know like uh geist for example the flasks will break into these sort of small crystal shards which then in turn creates a storm cloud which absolutely decimates them so it's mm, this yeah really really cool weaponry <laughs> i just <laughs> love how they get it so um so yeah so that's the sequitors and the castigators excellent excellent um now we're really hitting the meat with the night horn um or the, <laughs> the the spirit of it so i'm going to cover glaive wraith stalkers groomgast reapers and chain rasp chain rasp hordes in one big chunk do it because there's so many new units for night <coughs> Goddamn ridiculous. Um, <laughs> so, Glaive Wraith Stalkers are these ghosts that prowl in packs, uh, as they did in life, because in life they were basically men and women who rode horses and hunt and hunted other people for sport. Um, now, this is obviously a bad thing to do, and so Nagash, being the god of justice, because that's what he thinks he is, shh, don't tell him he's the god of death, he'll be unhappy. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, decided that in death he punished them by merging the horse and rider together basically they're these crook backed ghosts with horse skulls and um they have a glaive obviously um now the interesting thing about them is that they are essentially through a ritual given a target that the glaive unerringly points to like the needle of a compass pointing north um and no matter how many twists or turns they have to make they will always find their way to their target guided by this um by, guide, guided by the point of this glaive 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, even if they're out of sight or over distant horizons, there is no other destiny for the target once they've been marked. And, you know, the glaive race will slowly, painfully slowly reach them. And that is the ironic punishment here because these were people who loved the chase. You know, they loved to mm-hmm. be on horseback and bear down on people running away on foot and all that kind of thing. And now they have to inch by inch float towards their target who could be <laughs> hundreds of thousands of miles away and know that this is the only thing they're going to be doing until they get there. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, they, you know, they usually advance to a heartbeat rhythmed thump from a drum. Um, but all the thrill of the hunt has been replaced for them by this cold and unforgiving drive. There's no satisfaction for them to find and then hunt down and kill their quarry. And as soon as they find a target and kill them, uh, a new one is immediately marked by the ritual's powers. Uh, mm-hmm. So they never get a moment to relish what they've managed to do. It's just this torment of slowly but surely pursuing the foe. And as soon as they're dead, you have to immediately turn around in another direction. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a bit awkward. Now, just a bit. <laughs> just a bit. Now, Grimgast Reapers are actually quite interesting. So these are the Wraith styled ghosts, but with the blindfolds over their skull faces. Um, Grimgast Reapers are people who, in life, were killers, uh, usually serial killers, but they were incredibly meticulous and careful. They made absolutely sure, 100% sure, that there was no way any death could possibly be traced back to them. You know, they lied, they poisoned people or employed mercenaries, they never actually got their own hands dirty, and they were safe from the law. Nagash is a god of justice and could not accept this. These people are mass murderers. So in death, um, he has ruined their perfect, their sort of their perfection of the art of killing by blindfolding them and giving them a great bloody big scythe. And saying the only way you can fight, and you have to fight because you're a lesser Nighthaunt, you're being ordered to, um, is you have to swing wildly. Um, you don't even get to see what you're doing. Um, the actual, the, ve- the very interesting thing is that uh, their blindfold is actually a sanctified, uh, is stripped from a sanctified shroud. So it's like a blessed object that's being used to block the witch sight because normally ghosts can see through most things but this is specifically like they got a priest to bless it and everything before strapping it on uh, just to make sure the ghost couldn't see through it so they are very much definitely blind you know they have to they're very indiscriminate they're sort of almost clockwork in the way they move they have these they're not graceful they sort of start and stop. They look like stop motion animation kind of thing. <laughs> nice. You know, they they just swing kind of deal, <laughs> stopping and starting all over the place. Um, and the champions of their units are called extollers of Shaish, and these were people who, in life, were sort of spiritual leaders from other religions. People who preached about different gods than Nagash. Um, (laughs) and now that they've died, Nagash has gone, no, actually I am the true God. So you will worship me and extol my name and gave them an enormous bell. Uh, and it's tolling is designed to like ring out in Nagash's honor, basically. So instead of a side, they get the big bell. Mm -hmm. Um, and the bell's tone is so deep and disturbing that it can actually shake someone's soul straight of, straight out of their body. Oh, wow. Um, (laughs) And, and that's that's interesting because the mechanic for that is you do all the scythe wounds first for the unit and then you apply wounds from the bell. And if the bell kills anyone, it does extra mortal wounds to a nearby unit. Ah, oh, that like makes the sense. the noise. Yeah, which is really cool. Um, 
And then the, the meat and potatoes of any good horde army is the chain rasp hordes for Nighthorn. Um, and these are people, so remember I said the chain ghasts were people who prayed for release, yep. but didn't pray to Nagash, but they could potentially have been released and then, you know, gone on to live their lives and die. Chain rasps are people who died in chains, basically. Right. You know, horrific criminals that, you know, the most vicious and irredeemable, irredeemable people in the mortal realms, um, and they died in chains for their crimes. You know, they were hoping in death to find escape, and Nagash's punishment is, in death there is no escape. You, Your entire ghost is chained down and basically cursed to forever slay in the name of Nagash, and their, their big curse is spite and hatred. Um, they have... They have no, they have no other emotion, no other ability to think. The only thing they have is this burning sort of, well, freezing almost sort of deep hatred of everything that's, everything that exists to the point where if there's enough for them, they leave this spiritual frostbite staining the ground behind them. Um, and this negative energy also saps their victims' will to fight, making them easy targets. Uh, they are led by Dread Wardens, um, who are basically, were their jailers in life. And the Dread Warden holds a, basically a candelabra, uh, to sort of guide the Chain Rasps around. Uh, all of the Chain Rasps believe, uh, they feel the light, it's warm and refreshing, and they believe that it will lead them to freedom. But actually, it just causes them to follow the Dread Warden into eternal servitude. Uh, which is pretty neat. Um, <laughs> that's them. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, Do you have any left? <laughs> I've got two left. Good. I, I'll, uh, <laughs> how many more have you got? <laughs> Three. Okay. okay. Well, I'll, I'll, let's, we'll group them together. Makes it easier. Yeah. So yeah, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll grab, grab, I'll uh, put my last two together. <laughs> so that's the uh, evocators and the Celestar Ballistas. So with the uh, evocators. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, these are. As always with the Sacrosanth, a collection of mages from the the what's called the the Corpus Cant mm. conclaves. They basically have these mages that, rather than unleashing the storm, then as you know, like we see with some of the other troops, these basically absorb the storm instead. That's sort mm. of what you know, quite a key difference uh, with them. Um, basically, they're armed with a what's called a tempest blade and a storm sta- um, storm stave as well. So they got you know part mm-hmm. magic, part blade. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, despite the fact that they they absorb it, they can still shoot lightning. But they, in turn, their sort of main thing they do is they uh, also buff other storm cast as well. So through you know through their sort of magical powers, they can blast arrows out of the sky. <laughs> they can walk through fire. Uh, they, they're basically a, what's called a like a whirlwind whirlwind of lightning blows. Basically, mm. um, in some of their cases, they'll ride celestial uh, draclines, which are like these sort of like so these part saurus, part feline type creatures from Azir. Um, yeah, again, the yeah. same same creatures I mentioned before, where they you know they sharpen their claws on realmstone uh, celestrium and which again can cause like a, a, a huge build-up of storm energy which then in turn mm. is unleashed so yeah so these like i said you imagine these are sort of like you, these are the real proper support troops of the sacrosanct yeah. chamber yeah. they you know they can do a bit of damage but their main thing is sort of buffing their fellow Stormcast. <laughs> and it's funny because you sort of can imagine that there's, there's sort of buffs on top of buffs. You've got, you know, like I said, you've got the sectors that are buffing themselves or sorry, buff, buffing their weapons with their 
sort of imbued magic you know whether it's their shields or their or their great maces for example and like i said with the uh evocators there like i said in turn they're sort of buffing them as well you know so it's yeah you just got this sort of massive buff yeah. <laughs> buff yeah. is on top of yeah. buffs so uh, so <laughs> the the last unit is like i said is the celestar ballistas so there's another conclave which is called the uh ordinatos conclave which is where the like nice. the order ordinators come from for example um so basically this particular conclave produced what's called the uh sacristan engineers which is known there's also the conclave of the thunderbolt which is a really really cool name so these you as you would imagine these use magical you know, the artillery uh which <laughs> their first use uh, was actually when they yeah, were first yeah. used to defend the anvil of the apotheosis so basically because oh, they can be used nice. in a 360 fashion and because obviously mm. You know the anvil will always need protecting, and obviously, like I said, you got rogue souls and things like that. They, this is that's where they were first put into action, and then obviously they mm. realised, think, hang on, you know what we can do? We can put these on the battlefield <laughs> down below. Let's let's use these. So yeah. basically, the one there also their main advantage is they can be uh, deconstructed uh, by a two person crew and then redeployed easily. So even though they're quite bulky, you know put it down, mm. put it back up, bang, you're shooting again. Um, I mean, they can be so powerful. They're, they're powerful enough to take out a greater demon, for example. So these are mm. really powerful weaponry. Um, as I you'd imagine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubts here. <laughs> so they use enchanted bolts, as you, again, as you would imagine. Uh, basically, the engineers take them to the top, of, you know, near the anvil of the apotheosis, um, coaxing these these stray coils of lightning so you've got all these stray mm. stray coils going around and which which is what's quite funny is that when they're as they're trying as the engineers are trying to get these uh bits of lightning it can actually leap mm. because they're so close to the anvil they can actually accidentally reforge themselves <laughs> wow <laughs> i thought what? you know they slip and like oh, no oh. <laughs> and, then, and then they get reforged and they have to go through the the you know the arduous process so yeah i thought that's really cool but for mm. them it's worth the sacrifice so if they're successful by you know getting these stray cores of lightning these bolts are as you'd imagine are super super hot um which basically mm. in turn because they if they if they touch these bolts with bare hands it can lead to visions as well like obviously memories and things like that it can it sort of just it, it doesn't really explain it but it just it just gives them these like i said these visions mm. so what they do is they to get over that because otherwise i think if they're standing around looking at memories they'll never get anything done so they they end up wearing these huge <laughs> massive gloves to obviously you know to be able to hold these particular bolts and what mm. and also they're kept in like a special cartridge as well which yeah, you know yeah. to, to obviously for that reason and ultimately when they're unleashed they basically cause like a massive magical chain explosion on their enemies nice. so so yeah yeah, yeah definitely worth the sacrifice so yeah so that's the uh, evocators and the celestar ballistas excellent excellent so i'm going to wrap this up with the blade geist revenants the mere banshees and the dread scythe harridans so many there's so many new nighthaunt units it's ridiculous. i really didn't realize there was that many <laughs> <laughs> well if you think about it they went from what spirit hosts hex wraiths uh can race tomb banshees and the knight of shrouds that was all mm. they had, and they've gone yeah, to like true. twenty units in the, <laughs> in the new book. <laughs> so um, I'll start. I'll start off with Blade Geist Revenants. Um, these these are people who didn't actually necessarily do anything wrong, and honestly, um, I feel like their punishment is one of the worst because these are people who died in 
particularly tormenting ways, uh, something that caused them to lash out desperately all around them. You know, they were sealed in spike-ridden cases, choked under, choked, choked underwater, or they're buried alive. You know, their last living thoughts were this frenzy of desperation, a flurry of defiance to attempt to break free. And now, as ghosts, they are forever stuck in that last moment right before their death. That's, like, what their mental state is. Yeah. And then they just hand them a giant two-handed sword and fling them in the rough direction of the enemy. Like, they have no idea what they're doing. They still (laughs) think they're dying. They don't know that they died. Effectively, they're stuck in that moment forever, just sort of flinging themselves with this giant sword and almost, like, gaining momentum. Like, the sword is almost pulling them along as they swing it more and more in these really nonsensical, hard-to-predict arcs. Um, (laughs) And if a spirit torment is nearby, they start to panic because the spirit torments exude this aura of... uh, aura of essentially imprisonment and entrapment and sort of heightens that claustrophobic terror. And they start swinging faster and faster to attempt to get away from the spirit torment because they believe it embodies their doom. So they're really awful. (laughs) Um, (laughs) They're really, really tragic. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, But they're very cool models and they're very good in games. So I'll probably get some. (laughs) Um, No matter how, no matter how bad I feel for them. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, Then we have the Miramon Banshees, who are awesome. Uh, Basically, these were people in life. They were practitioners of magic, and they studied magic a lot, but they didn't pay proper respect to Nagash in their studies. So once they started messing with Amethyst magic, they didn't say a prayer to Nagash before trying to inject a little necromancy into their studies, basically. Um, And because of this, uh, Nagash has decided that if they loved magic so much in life, why should they stop in death? Um, True. (laughs) So question. Yeah. Uh, so they are, they are banshees, which are, you know, a type of undead, but these particular ones are drawn towards magic rather than sorrow. Um, and it is, it is basically what they eat. They subsist on magic. Um, they have no physical senses left. All they can sense is the presence of magic and the living creatures that use it. Uh, and so th- basically they form these flocks of several banshees and float towards sources of magic attempting to devour it. Uh, they're so, they've got such this, this such great greed for magic that they'll even eat endless spells, uh, once they've been summoned. Um, and all that energy gets channeled directly into their weapons, making them more deadly. Which, in game, is if they successfully unbind a spell, they get an extra attack, which is really good on them, because <laughs> they do a bunch of damage. Um, <laughs> and they're really cool. Uh, it's a unit that just gets to unbind spells at a yeah. shorter range, which represent them eating the magic. Um, and the final one is Dreadscythe Harridans, a different type of banshee. Again, uh, these were people who in life were healers. They devoted their entire life to robbing Nagash of his, Jew- of his rightful Jews, uh, from his perspective. Mm-hmm. So clearly they gotta, clearly they gotta have a bad time in the afterlife. Um, <laughs> what next? <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, so basically he cursed their souls to reshape them into basically the opposite of what, of the, what they once were. So where they used to be healing hands, they now have these scythes made of bone protruding from their wrists. Um, you know, they were gentle and caring people. Now they are these raging killers. In life, if they saw blood or an injury, they felt compassion, but now it makes them angry. And the lips that used to utter reassurances and gentle words, you know, it'll be all right. I'm a doctor, effectively. Um, now all they can do is scream and cause fear. Um, <laughs> you know, um, and you know, 
basically they float around battlefields doing all these terrible, horrible things in melee because they've got scythes for hands and they scream and everything. But the worst part of this is that while that is how they react to things, their actual original mind is still intact. Um, they remember who they were and they keep their old personalities, but they have no physical control over their bodies. So the body is, you know, a screaming, killing monster floating around mm-hmm. the battlefield and inside is this you know, usually a gentle doctor who really can't stand what they're seeing. Um, so, you know, that's Nick Gash's punishment for going to medical school, I guess. Um, <laughs> mm. it's not, it's, nice. Nick Gash is not very nice, I think, is the moral of this story. Yeah, I, I, I would say, I think we've learned a few things by going through all these new units <laughs> and the lore behind them. I think, you know, if we're looking at it, the from a Stormcast point of view, the Sacrosanct Chamber is all about lightning and buffing and magicalness mm. and the yeah. night haunt we've learned that it's all about misery <laughs> it's all about inflicting yeah. pain and suffering and Nagash is a petty sod as well <laughs> oh he's so he's so petty i just love that thing for the chain guards where it's like they didn't pray to me i'm making a note when yes. that man dies when he dies <laughs> i'm not, not even going to interfere no <laughs> it's brilliant oh, oh he's such a so. he's such a saturday morning cartoon villain he really is he really is <laughs> But I think what's quite cool, actually, going through all this, is it. We, I think we, well, we both have. We've sort of discovered how actually mm. how interesting all these new characters and units actually are. Because oh, you know, yeah. it, when when Soul Wars came out and sort of the lead up to Soul Wars, it was all about oh look at all these new units. And you think oh yeah, more Nighthawk, more Stormcast. Mm. But they're actually you know, when you actually get to behind them, they're actually really cool. Like, and you actually learn oh, about man. some of the processes. You know, these little yeah. bits of detail are really cool. So <laughs> no, it's been really cool talking Absolutely. about them. Excellent. Right. So we'll we'll have our last little break now, and then when we're back, Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about an Eldar god. Yay! And welcome back. It's discussion topic time. Woohoo! Woohoo! Calm down, everyone. I know it's exciting. (laughs) (laughs) And we're going back to the 40k universe, and for this discussion topic, we're asking the question, if Yinyad was to rise, would the Eldar be saved? Mm. Mm. So, yes, we thought we would yeah so no this is gonna be a funny one isn't it so we thought yeah why not let's talk about yinyad uh so yinyad is the just for a little bit of background yinyad is the the eldar god of death uh, Mm -hmm. at the moment um who's sort of i don't know cooking in the warp as we speak yeah he's um (laughs) uh, i should say they are sort of nascent inside the infinity circuits so like yes there's a there's a big stone basically on each craft world that they put all the souls into and they've put enough souls in at this point that they've realized that something is sort of forming in there um yeah you know he's 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 in the yeah. oven he, he'll be on he'll yeah, be along in a bit yeah cooking yeah cooking away at the moment so <laughs> yeah so you know this this the yinyad has sort of caused the rise of the yanari which is this mm. sort of Eldar sort of sub faction that's appeared, like yep. a, a collection of you know, well, of all of them, of the mm. Drakari, the Craftworlds, the Harlequins, for example, mm. and basically the you know these are very strong believers in the rise of uh, of Yinyad that's basically going to save the Eldar in their eyes and <laughs> cause the downfall of Sinesh. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, this is easy as that. <laughs> it's easy fine. as pie. So 
<laughs> yeah, don't worry about it. So, <laughs> as always, with all discussion topics, we'll talk about our yes reasons to the question. Say yes, mm-hmm. that, you know, the world I would be saved. We'll say our reasons no, and then we'll conclude and see what we think. So, yeah. Yeah. Cameron, your first re- yes reason, please. Uh, my first yes reason is, uh, so for a little bit of context, the belief of the Inari is that when every living Eldar has died and been put into the Infinity Circuit, Inead will have gained enough power to be born and fight Slanesh. However, yes. Eldred Ulthan, one of the Ulthway, I believe, Farseers, I think he's, I think he's Crawford Ulthway. Um, he, yes, he is, yeah. He believes and is working towards finding out a way uh, to do this without killing all of the currently living Eldar, <clears throat> which seems like a pretty smart thing to do from my perspective. Because, uh, I mean, imagine imagine if um, a religious person came around, knocked on your door and said, have you heard of our Lord and Savior? All that happens is we all need to die at once and he'll purge the world of everything that is and it will all be reborn in goodness and holiness, etc. This is this is what the Inari are saying, and Eldred's going, listen, I get it, Inead's cool, they're definitely one of our gods, but I think we should maybe work out a way not to do this with killing all of us. <laughs> um, and to be fair, Eldred doesn't have a bad track record, he's done okay for himself, he's been alive for a very long time, um, and oh, yeah. he's worked out several plans that have gone all according to plan uh, to help preserve the Eldar species, so I think it is entirely possible that uh, this sort of subplot will end with Eldrad figuring out how to wake Inead without having to kill everyone first. Um, <laughs> and if that happens, it is entirely possible that um, the Eldar will be saved. Like, the Eldar gods were quite powerful in their time. You know, Cain fought yeah. Korn by himself and, you know, he lost, but only through the intervention of Slanesh and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Or Cain fought Slanesh and rather and was killed by the intervention of Korn. You know, it's a bit iffy. Yeah. Um, yep. <laughs> the, you know, they're, they're very powerful beings and if this one which, you know, is unbeknownst to all the Chaos Gods, presumably, because Inead's not been active before, suddenly comes into being, it could be a surprise attack. Slanesh can be caught off guard. Uh, especially yep. with the Great Rift sort of providing this glut of souls of other species to sort of distract them. Uh, so I think it's I think it's not a bad idea, especially because mm. it uh, could be done without killing all of them, <laughs> which would be good. And we know Sinesh can be easily distracted with souls, as oh, we yeah. know in Age of Sigmar. Absolutely. Feed <laughs> <laughs> Sinesh enough. <laughs> mm, mm. <laughs> cool. Okay. Yeah, that's a good reason. Um uh, my first yes reason is, I suppose it's a double-sided coin, really, on this yeah. one. Is regard because we don't know how powerful uh, Yinyad is going to be mm. if this happens. So the fact that they can defeat defeat Sinesh, that we can't rule it out because again, mm. it's a bit of an unknown entity. Oh, so yeah. let's say yes. Yeah. So so let's say yes, yes, they can, they can take out Sinesh because mm. um, Sinesh is in a bit of a funny place. As a god, as again, I know we, we're mm. talking 40k here, but even in, in both universes, Sinesh is always a bit of a funny one. And mm. uh, it, to me, Sinesh always comes across as a bit of an opportunist. So like you mm. just said, there's no reason why Sinesh can't get black blindsided by oh, yeah. uh, Inead in this case, because mm. I don't think Sinesh would see this coming in general, because I suppose no, no. from Sinesh's point of view, they've taken out the Eldar as a race, ultimately. I know not not mm. literally, because obviously there's still some alive, but yeah. predominantly, you know, Sinesh has destroyed 
<laughs> mm. the Eldar race, oh, you yeah. know, to, where, to the point where they are literally now a dying race. So, you know, I can see if Yinyad gets powerful enough, plus a combination of surprise, um, <laughs> that, that uh, Shanesh can be, can be taken down. And also mm. the fact that, you know, the question is, would the other chaos gods come to Sinesh's help? Maybe not, mm. potentially as well. Probably you know, not, because I would always, say. <laughs> no, you know, because it's one less god mm. for them to compete with, isn't it, really? Oh, so, yeah. I, you know, I think Sinesh is there to be taken advantage of. It all depends, really, on, mm. like I said, is, is uh, Yinyad up to the... Uh, up to the task that's the mm. question yeah yeah right cool okay what's your next yes reason uh this is my honestly my biggest one which is it's been done it's it's proven that slanesh <laughs> is vulnerable in canon uh in age of sigma canon technically but like yeah in over in age of sigma slanesh was not killed but was definitely defeated was trapped and kept uh kept a- apart from everything else and as far as we can tell definitely unable to feed on souls like they normally would because it, what would be the point of hiding them away in between two realms if there was this constant stream of elven souls showing them exactly where slash was so i think that if this goes down and it may very well go down we could end up with that kind of situation where iniad overpowers slanesh but isn't actually able to kill them but is definitely able to seal them away somehow oh yeah. actually i would love you know what I would love, and this just came into my brain, the ultimate ironic punishment is for, in 40k, for Slanesh to be thrown out of the warp by Iniad and broken into pieces, just like Kane was. Kane was thrown out yeah. of the warp and shattered. And, you know, that would be, that'd be an interesting way to take things, because then you could have these sort of idols of Slanesh instead of avatars of Kane deal mm. for, like, the Slanesh-related factions. That just came into my head. That wasn't my initial reason. My initial reason was we know things can overpower Slanesh. Slanesh's power is limitless. But, um, God, that's such a good idea. I really like that. Now, thematically, it's like a counterpoint to breaking one of the Eldar gods in the same way. And, you know, you know, there'd be the one faction of Slanesh worshippers trying to piece all the bits together and the other one just mm-hmm. defending theirs and saying, no, this is ours. And, you know, our, our man who's worshipping here, he's the actual heir of Slanesh. And, you know, break it up like the hosts of Slanesh in Age of Sigma. I think that'd be cool. <laughs> that sounds very cool. Yeah. Oh, See, genius just comes to you, Cameron. Just, oh, apparently. Just inspiration. Mm. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Um, my next reason, uh, I suppose it's a, a double reason, because obviously this mm. is almost like a, a two-part question, because obviously it's about... It's not just about taking out Sinesh, it's also saving the Eldar, because I suppose mm. it depends which way you look at it, because obviously saving the Eldar could be killing off Sinesh, but then there's still, if even if Sinesh sort of was gone right now, they're still a dying race. So yeah. they sort of, they need yeah. to push on if they're going to, if they're <laughs> going to save themselves as well. It's sort of, it's, you know, it's the two reasons really. So yeah, I mean, if, if, if Yinyad does take out Sinesh, it, it needs to sort of empower and save the elder. They need it needs mm. to sort of bring him confidence. Because so, in fact, the power of of Yinyad has to be sort of double the power because in in they've got Yinyad's got to have the power to take out Sinesh, mm. which may or may not be able to do depending on again the previous point. But also, then has got to 
the get the Eldar to thrive again. Because like mm. I said, if they yeah, you know, if they don't, then they're still back to square one again. It's just they've just got not they just don't have Sinesh to deal with anymore, which <laughs> doesn't solve the problem <laughs> for uh, them. So yeah, you know, it's, it depends. It depends how mm. they how they react to it. But ultimately. They're, like one of the yes reasons is I suppose learning from their mistakes as well. Mm, yeah, because uh, you know because ultimately their their situation is their own doing as we've mm. you know spoken about before yeah, in yeah. one of the previous shows. That at the end of the day, that's they need to learn from that and they need to I suppose get a bit of humility <laughs> in a way. <laughs> they need to sort of. I know it sounds a bit weird saying that word for them, but it it it's true and ultimately it will only work out if, if like I said, if, if Yinyad sort of, as well as taking out Shinesh, mm. empowering him, but also showing him a new way, which I don't think yeah. Yinyad, I suppose, is capable of doing. That's the only mm. problem, because it's a god of death. Mm. Um, well, technically, so I, I suppose it, technically mm. it's a god, not a god of death, but a god of the dead, which, the could, de- well, yeah, which yeah, could be yeah. an important distinction. It's not like... Inia is here to mm. kill thing. It's it is Inia is the combined will of every elder that's died and you know not yeah. been eaten. I guess, mm. but I suppose that could work in its favor in in its mm. favor because if it's the memories of all the dead elder, but uh, mm. then again, if they're you know because it's all all um, <laughs> I suppose their 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 afterlife because obviously that's what the infinity circuits are, aren't they? They're sort of yeah. their afterlife, and I suppose yeah. if they've got all their previous farseers and leaders and all their uh, you know all their previous family all coming together to say look no we need to rem- you know we need to not make this mistake mistake a second time mm. then yeah i suppose they can save themselves in that regard mm. yeah okay yeah. um have you got any more yes reasons uh, i mean this one kind of hinges on Inead is able to a rise successfully and b uprise successfully without killing all of the elder and b is able to defeat slanesh but if those two things happen uh, hmm. I know you said they need to better themselves and pull their race back from the brink. Um, <laughs> the difficult thing to remember in 40k is scale. The Eldar are a yes. dying race. There are still several billion of them out there. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I think the main thing holding them back is that their craft worlds are very far apart a lot of the time. But also, mm-hmm. Slanesh is honestly the biggest thing holding them back. Um, yeah, you know. True. They, they've sort of styled their entire life, their entire culture around minimalism and not risking sort of extremes of anything because Slanesh was always there waiting to prey on that. If Slanesh is either imprisoned in such a way that they can't influence reality anymore or if Slanesh is outright killed, suddenly that issue is a non-issue. You know, they can start having more than one child every 500 years because they need to calm down <laughs> after that. Yeah. You know, they... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's effectively what it is they they have they have an emotional austerity uh, economy, basically. <laughs> you know, they they yeah. they they deliberately limit their entire civilization to make sure things don't go off the rails again. But they can start being a little more loose and liberal with that if Slanesh is suddenly no longer a factor. Which, I mean, even if it's just on the Exodite worlds, suddenly seeing a boom in population like that would see several full planets of Eldar spring into being instead of a few small colonies out there. Which mm-hmm. I think would yeah, be awesome. That's true. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if if Inead is rises successfully without killing all of the all of the Eldar and is able to defeat Slanesh, I think it's perfectly possible that the Eldar race will be able to begin recovering on its own, even without intervention mm. from the God. Uh, but you never know. 
know. Nice summary. Ah, but you never know. <laughs> it could all go to shit. <laughs> oh, it is 100% going to. I know which side of this debate I land on. <laughs> oh, oh, we've got a hint already. Yeah. <laughs> um, I suppose my sort of last yes reason is, you know, because obviously you were saying about Eldrad may mm. come up with an idea to not kill them all off. I suppose um, Evrain, who's obviously their main Inari mm. leader at the moment, she's on a path to, which is the seventh path, mm. which is to collect all the five crone swords, which mm. are rumoured to be the fingers of Moray Heg. Mm. So now they've got four of the swords, I believe. Pretty good. Um, Pretty good. So, <laughs> so I... I suppose again, it's it's. I suppose it's the belief side of things. It depends if they do get a. If they get, if she does get hold of the fifth sword, obviously that's the first it has to happen. And obviously, mm. if she does get hold of the the fifth sword and the, obviously combines together, it's whether the this theory that them being combined will be able to bring them all back to life. And, mm. Well, well, sorry, it, not bring them all back to life. It'll bring uh, Yinyad back to. Like, you know, well, create consciousness. Uh, yeah, consciousness. And, <laughs> and then in turn, obviously, you know, cause it, like you said, it's down to whether Yinyad rises and it's also down mm. to whether it, that Yinyad rises successfully as well in the sense yeah. it doesn't take out the whole race as it happens. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. I suppose it's, it's another chance, you know, cause mm. ultimately, ultimately if she's trying to find, she's got a quite a solid theory, which obviously could be for better or worse. Whereas like I said, mm. if El- Eldrad, is they're trying to think of another reason as well, then I suppose it's two, you know, it's t- <laughs> two heads are better than one trying to actually solve yeah. this, you know, quite yeah. s- situation. So don't know. I don't know. Don't know. But, um, don't know. but let's, let's go on to the no reasons, which I think mm. are probably going to be. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So what's your first one? I mean, so, um, I'm currently on the Warhammer 40 K wiki page for Inead, and I'm just looking at a very particular image, uh, Turn to page 394, everyone. Standard Eldar textbook. Um, you will see an image of the Incarn, which is the avatar of Inead. Uh, and yep. if, if you have the model, have a close look at the model. Does that look like a not chaos thing to you? Because it looks very no, much like a No, it doesn't look anything thing. like a Sineshi demon. No, no, it okay, doesn't. Okay, I'm going to point out, I'm going to point out a few things of design. <laughs> First, the large and obvious horns. Um. <laughs> <laughs> It's got a big, it's got big demon kind of horns going on, which admittedly other things have horns, but point in fact, demons. Um, two, it is, it follows the sort of the hermaphroditic design that a lot of the more recent Slanesh demons have, you know, the, the one breast on one side of the body, the flat chest on the other side kind of style. Yep. And it's sort of an androgynous face, very Slaneshy again. Its stomach is a swirling void beginning to be filled by the souls of Eldar. <laughs> Which I feel should tick some warning boxes for members of the Inari <laughs> faction. <laughs> hey, we've been here before. <laughs> I just, mm-hmm. I'm, I mean, like, I understand this god was prophesied about and everything like that. However, have you looked at it? Did you look yeah. at the actual thing that is happening? <laughs> because, oh my yeah. god, guys, come on, please. It's so obvious that this is not going to go well for you. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm gonna be so sad for them when this all turns oh, to crap, no. and it turns out they accidentally awakened a second Solanesh inside the infinity circuits <laughs> of each craft world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's that. That's actually one of my reasons. I put where you know, 
could be could be corrupt in the sense, like I said, it may mm. they're sort of hinging on this god that they don't really know that much about. It's not yeah. sort of never been in existence, you know, prior to this. So they're sort mm. of hinging on the fact it's going to be a good god in quote, you know, in air quotes, and that will actually yeah. be good for their race. There's no, yeah. there's no, no reason that that is the case at all. Oh, like I said it could be an a new chaos god, it, mm. you know, you had could or it may not even be a chaos god. It could just be a a, just god. a real a hungry god, yeah, <laughs> just a, a bad god, <laughs> you know, just a god that doesn't not care nice about. The, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't mean they're gonna. It's gonna. It doesn't. There's no proof to say yeah. that Iniad is actually going to be their savior in any mm. way possible. Indeed, but you know, it, it could be. It could be that Iniad is brought into existence and then screws them over just like oh, Sinesh yeah. would. Oh, yeah. There's nothing, or could you know? It could either team up with Sinesh, or you could have this sort of situation where Yinya takes out Sinesh, but then takes out the Eldar as well. Like mm. he's just like, I don't really care about all of them. I'm doing, you know, does oh. does its own thing. You know, there's no. nothing could you imagine, stopping that happening. Could you imagine Inia rising, killing Sinesh and all the Eldar? Like, yeah, yeah, you got him <laughs> now. Burn down his, burn down his part of the warp, and Inia just looks around and sits down on Sinesh's chair and just like. Yeah, this is good enough. <laughs> yeah, I'll stay here. And they're like, yeah. no! <laughs> After all that. I mean, yeah, like, if we if we want to look at hard evidence based on what's happened in the past. Uh, hi, I'm here from the uh, from the terror reporter. Uh, you're an Eldar Farsi. Can you tell me what happened last time a god made of the psychic emanations of your species was born? Oh, it, it killed it killed ninety eight percent of your race and devoured their souls. That's interesting. Why do you think the plan will work this time? Oh, because you found an old book that said it would. Excellent. I'm I'm very interested to see how that goes for you. Yes, <laughs> clutching at those proverbial straws there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> like to take it from a very literal perspective, the last time a god was born out of Eldar psychic activity, it was actually Slanesh. It was as bad as it got, and they're like. This is a god born out of Eldar souls, which are psychic activity in Warhammer 40k. Mm-hmm. What? Do, what? It, it's just going to happen again. You're going to have two of them, except this one's going to be inside Learn. your house. It's going to be in your house. <laughs> <laughs> I don't well, know what you want. I- <laughs> <laughs> just leave. I just I put that as one of my reasons here as well. That the, mm. I just put Eldar are bloody arrogant. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> because but because that's again that's the other thing as well. Because there's nothing stopping the fact. Okay, let's look at this scenario. So mm. Yinyad rises. Yinyad takes out Shanash. Yinyad is actually okay, a good mm. god. Yeah, but what's stopping them screwing themselves over yet again? It's not oh, they yeah. can't. They, there's no again. They can't be trusted with themselves because because <laughs> yeah. of what they've done before. I, I just, I can just, I, even though you think, in, you know, logically, they'd be like, no, mm. you know what happened last time? We screwed, we killed ninety eight percent of our population. We'll yeah, be fine. Yeah. But then I bet I can see the Eldar finding another way to screw themselves over. Oh, yeah. You know, in the long run, it could be something. It could be in you know thou- thousands of years time. I could see them screwing themselves over because that's because they're mm. they've got a track record of doing it. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Um, hmm. <laughs> I mean, God, it's it's just so obvious. You look at the goddamn thing. I mean, an Inquisitor probably saw that on the battlefield and thought, "Oh God, these are Eldar worshiping uh, worshiping Slanesh. These are Chaos Eldar. I'll put that in a book." 
And then, you know, <laughs> yeah. an elder actually wrote him a message and said, we would like to correct the thing you wrote about us. That is our god. It's definitely not Slanesh. And he just looks at the picture. <laughs> capture. He, he, puts up, he puts up the image on one screen. He puts the image of a keeper of secrets on the other. And he just merges them together, slowly laying them over each other. It's like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's so bad. Um, <laughs> I, I, I do have one other potential version of this, which is... Inead rises, but all the Elder have to die first. Inead defeats Slanesh. Inead is a good god. The problem is, at this point, Inead is trapped inside the Infinity Circuits, as are all of the Eldar's consciousnesses. They are all in the yep. Infinity Circuits now. The problem is, there is no one outside the Wraithbone to sing it into shape now. <laughs> no, and they're no. just trapped the craft worlds become ghost worlds because literally the only things living there are ghosts now because there's no living Eldar to pluck spirit stones out sing wraithbone bodies for them and you know begin mm-hmm. reforging the Eldar race anew as a race of almost necrons they would be at that point but there's no one to do that so they're just stuck in their in their infinity circuit there's nowhere else for them to go that would be also a pretty bad case scenario for them probably not as bad as we awoke <laughs> Slanesh 2.0 inside the Infinity Circuit, but <laughs> I, I just can't oh, get man. over how dumb this is. Why are you doing no, this? No, it really isn't. It's such. It's just again. That's what it's their arrogance coming in. It's like no, this is the way it's going to be, and it's yeah. it's. I just can't believe that this is what they're clutching at to save them. You know, in mm. a way, you just be good. Look, just 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 see out your existence. If this is how it's good, things are going to be, you you know, you brought this on yourself. Don't mm. clutch at these straws. Now, <laughs> yes, yeah. but and again, the bottom line is, which is probably a, a simple thing, is mm. we've there's again, it's the flip side. We, we've got no proof that Inead is actually even powerful enough to take on Sanesh. Oh yeah, you know, are all these souls that are being stored up to be you know to bring Inead into existence? There's no you know, it, it, they could take on Sanesh and Sanesh just whips them mm. into shape and just takes them out and then yeah, yeah. then what then what, then what? how many <laughs> yeah, how, what other thing have you got up your sleeve you've got nothing now really mm. yeah. <laughs> you're back to square one um i mean and the fact that the unari are, are actually uh, uh, you know put, pulling the the eldari apart at the moment in mm. a way because they're obviously not they're not all on board with the unari because they some think hang on you're just completely <laughs> deluded with your own belief in this mm. so yeah so yeah, um, anything else to add to that, or do we? we I mean, do we believe? <laughs> look, I'm, I'm going to give one last lecture at all the elder players. Look at what you're doing to yourself. Stop it! Stop it! You want you want to do things properly. You want to survive in this universe. Go find one of those younger species who are prosperous. Look, go talk to the go talk to the bloody Tau Empire. They are doing things properly. They're expanding. They are taking over space. They have territory that they hold against the Imperium. And guess what? They're not being eaten by demons every day. <laughs> they don't have a god <laughs> leeching off their souls because, god damn it, they understood their limitations and worked with them. They decided, you know what? Warp travel isn't for us. We tried it once, the Great Rift happened, and we never tried it again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're happy with our little corner of the universe, and ultimately, I feel that's the best solution for the Eldar, is that they find a small corner of the galaxy... They make it yeah. theirs, and they slowly expand from there. If they really want to save mm-hmm. the species, don't 
don't do your big storybook, we're going to fight Slanesh and win with our dead god. <laughs> yeah, learn. Learn. Just oh. grow slowly, become more powerful that way, and then maybe think about <laughs> Slanesh in another 10,000 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I think we're definitely in agreement that this isn't going to end well for them. No. In one of, in one of, you know, it could be any one of, of the, it so could be any of this. What's that? It could be any of the scenarios that we've just mentioned, or it could be something completely, you know, that we've not said. But uh, yeah, I think we're definitely in agreement mm. that uh, the Unari are really barking up the wrong tree. With the, mm. this, there's more. Let's be honest. There's more chance of failing than of it being pulled off. It's not, mm. you know. But um, yeah. So, but just to add to this mix, we have got a uh, another opinion to add to this mix as well. So, mm. friend of the show, my Sinclair. Yeah. We were. We, she contacted us recently because uh, <laughs> she's blaming us for getting her into Age of Sigma, and yeah. it's not. Our, it's not our fault, my. It is it's- our fault. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry, my. I watched that conversation happen and didn't intervene in real time. I know. I was thinking <laughs> <coughs> we're just doing our job. Um, so, <laughs> so, but knowing she's always had a, th- a uh, an interest in the Eldar we thought well, let's let's ask you know for her for her opinion so I'll uh, I'll re- you know so knowing that we were going to be talking about this topic on the show so we gave her mm. the opportunity to add her opinion to this so I'll um, I'll read it out so uh, I'll summarise my thoughts into two points first is the question itself second addresses the issue at the heart of trying to uh, return the Eldar to their former glory so uh, the plan of the Unari is to all die, become one with y- uh, Yinyad, and then we will all begin to be reborn. Reborn. Get my words out. <laughs> Honest. <laughs> this is totally the drink, the Kool-Aid kind of a theory. Just die. <laughs> Just die, and it will make it all better. It is like a human servant that chooses to serve a vampire into old age, because one day they will make me a vampire and I can live forever. <laughs> See, Mike gets so, it. My understanding. Yes, yeah, she knows. Um, so they say, more likely, Yinyad will rise again, kill Sinesh if they can, and that will be it. Um, sorry, that will be it for the Eldar. Maybe mm. there will be a new race of undead servants and, an, and another army of death in the 40k universe serving Yinyad. <laughs> but that will be the end of the Eldar. Yeah, man. Fair point. Uh, and part two. Uh, second, this is the opposite of glory. This is cowardice. Let your craft world embark in this lunacy, but should we encounter you, we will help you along your path and end your life. Make what what remains of your life something worthwhile. Let life end when the time comes. I find find this idea of struggling to reclaim the past an insult. (laughs) It's just making me laugh. I can imagine her saying this. This is uh, recidivism. (laughs) It's it's, she's got a fair. All her points are so. It's so true, and it's similar to what we were saying a minute ago. It's like, look, just if you're going to die as a race, just die out. You know, just uh, not. You know, I mean, live it out, but don't clutch onto something that's not there. Or like I said, it's. I think the way she's sort of coming across that it's almost like it's a pathetic way for the Eldar to sort of you know see themselves out but again i think it is part mm. of their arrogance as well so no i think she <laughs> i think she's she knows exactly what she's doing and mm. um hopefully at some point in the future we'll get uh we'll get her on the show as well as a guest yeah, which would be really cool, cool. Mm. she was up for it so yeah so yeah no thank you very 
Thank, thank you, Mike, for your response on that. It's really yeah, cool. Yeah. So, so yeah. So that's been the end of the uh, discussion topic for this week, and the uh, the end of the show. It's uh, mm. it's been a good one. So uh, we'll just wrap up the usual sort of stuff, and then we'll be on our way. So um, as always, thank you very much for listening to this episode and listening to the show in general. Uh, if you've got a spare few minutes, uh, hit us up on iTunes. Give us a five star review if you're feeling we're deserving of that and we've had a few more views always really lovely words that we hear so it's always really great to hear that um to contact the show you can check us out mainly on twitter so you on the handle at realm and ruin that's ma- mm-hmm. the main place we sort of vacate there's facebook.com slash realm and ruin as well uh, also realm and our website again if you want to contact us feel free to do so using the the contact form um well so uh, other thing discord we again we've got a really great community on there so the link will be in the description for this episode so if you want to if you've got discord and you want to join in so we've got some great conversations even though at the moment we're definitely on a magic the gathering sort of <laughs> thing at the moment um which is really good but no but overall as a warhammer thing you know we've got people that are you know swapping painting tips swapping mm-hmm. swapping army list tips and and just showing off what we've been doing so no we've got a lovely little community on there so (laughs) definitely check that out and uh yeah i think that's the main thing and cameron where can people find you on the internet uh you can find me on twitter at night underscore twitten uh that's night without a k or you can find me in the gilead system of the dark imperium trying desperately to understand how to make my ogrim be a priest (laughs) (laughs) nice Nice. And uh, you can find me on Twitter as well, at NinjaBadger7. Uh, or you can find me under a lot of uh, grey plastic crack that we that's mm. <laughs> building up behind me. Because mm. uh, I've got so many models to put together. <laughs> uh, but that, that's been episode... <laughs> that's been episode number 12 as always thank you very much for your support. It's always greatly appreciated. And we'll mm-hmm. catch you on the next episode. Bye! Bye-bye!